everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 392. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix, that's man, and Bix, just me and you this week as we uh, go back uh, 29 years now to 1994. That makes me feel very old. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it is pretty crazy. How uh, how time flies as you're having a good time, I guess, so to speak. So 29 years before 1994 would have been 1969. 1969. Uh, not, 65, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. 65, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I got to think for people our age in 1994 that 1965 did not feel as recent as 1994 feels to us. No. Oh, no, 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 no. That was old. I mean, it's because, I mean, you look at the, like, just say the popular music from 1965 was on the oldies channels on your radio station. Yes. They don't call 80s and 80s and 90s music oldies. It's on the radio <laughs> these days. No. They don't. Not because if people feel like, if, it makes you feel like they're old. <laughs> Yeah, do you think people felt like the Bill Watts heel turn on Bruno felt like it was yesterday in 1994? <laughs> well, it goes to what we talked about in this show. I mean, in, in the 90s, I mean, we really weren't living that life of vintage. I mean, it was it was it, it was starting in the 90s somewhat in a way, but it doesn't really start to get going until the 2000s. And then especially 2010s and onward, you know, yeah. I think that's part, that's, that's a big part of it. But, uh, yeah. Plus, you know, I had this discussion, uh, at the lunch table for, uh, we had family lunch, uh, Sunday, the day before we recorded this. And, um, my brother's stepdaughter is, uh, she just got out of college and we just got a conversation about something, and she was talking about how it's crazy to think that 2003 is 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was just not being born and stuff, or just like one or two years old. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, let's go to Feb the week of February 8th through the 14th of 1994. And we begin the World Wrestling Federation where, yep, things are starting to get heavy legally. New York Daily News had a big article out on uh, February 13th. As legal trouble of Titan Sports, Vincent Mann was subject of a two-page story. The story was, which received huge play with a giant headline of legal chokehold on the back page of the paper in the end zone feature space, a regular Sunday lengthy sports feature written by Dan Wasserman, was largely a rehash about the steroid indictments, potential repercussions, and allegations of sexual abuse of minors, most of which were previously reported widely in 1992. The sex charges, once again, were centered around Tom Cole, the one-time WF ring boy that, were reported on the, that was reported on widely in 1992. Cole currently has a breach of contract lawsuit against Titan Sports stemming from his original settlement with Titan in 1992 of a proposed lawsuit that was never filed, which claimed both homosexual harassment and sexual abuse at the time he was a minor. 
A second suit, which also brought intense sexual harassment and unwelcome homosexual solicitation by officers or managerial employees in the WF, did not include anything stated as sexual abuse as a minor. It is believed Cole signed an affidavit while under the employment of Titan a second time recanting those charges. Although the second suit claimed that was done under pressure. The store noted Cole appeared before a federal grand jury that was investigating Titan large on steroid charges. Cole claimed in the story to have given authorities names of at least six of the ring boys claimed to have been subjected to various forms of solicitation. Another name, Scott Marquez of Marysville, California, was mentioned as having been questioned as part of a, the probe, claiming a sexual assault, claiming a sexual assault by a ring crew chief in 1989. While testimony regarding potential man act violations prohibiting sexual exploitation of minors was reportedly heard by the grand jury, the only indictments returned were in regard to steroid law violations. The store reported the source close investigation is saying the feds have closed down the probe and no indictments will be handed down on man act violations, although authorities themselves have refused to either confirm or deny that it's the case. Bix, you want to describe what the man act is? Basically, it's like I guess technically it's to it's a child sex trafficking prevention law. And you know, taking my it, it it was originally, I think, brought about and used for less than savory purposes because I be taking minors across state lines and stuff like that, I believe, also was used in kind of a racist way at times for, like, high school couples who were together and stuff that were interracial couples. But practically in more recent decades, it's what I just said. You know, it's that kind of thing as far as child trafficking and stuff like that. Um, go ahead. I was going to say man is M-A-N-N, yes. Yes, like Michael Mann. Yes. Um, okay, so, you know, there's more here about the legal issues, but it gets away from the Daily News article, so I guess we should start with that. I do have the article in front of me. I don't know if we want to read any of it or not. Um, I, 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 well, I'll start with this. This is as far as I know the last time that Tom Cole ever actually explains in detail what happened to him in public. Because as we talked about on the Titan Gate shows, understandably, he kind of stopped wanting to give the full details in interviews and stuff as time went on. Um, you know? Now, Scott, okay, so I'm assuming the spelling here is correct as Marquez, but all the other stuff I have, like that I got from Phil Mushnick's records and stuff, spells it Marcus, so I'm assuming that's the pronunciation, but the spelling here is correct. Um, I won't give the name, because it was never made in public and investigated and stuff. Uh, but I feel like I need to say this. He was not accusing Mel Phillips. He was accusing a different ring crew person. Didn't expect that, did you? I mean... There are other people that were involved in it beyond Mel Phillips. It's just Mel Phillips was always the one that got the most notoriety. I mean, this is a name that, as far as I know, has never been linked publicly to any of this. Yeah. So, um, so. you know, it talks also about Cole testifying before the grand jury in late 92. Um, I mean, it's interesting, if nothing else. I mean, of all of the older coverage of the scandals you know granted this isn't from 92 but it has some of the more important stuff this would probably be the easiest one to find because daily news is on newspapers.com and proquest yeah um 
let me just see. Is there anything about Marcus that's not in the Observer thing? Yeah, it took pl allegedly took place in a moving vehicle on an interstate highway. I'm talking about that as a potential federal law violation. Um, won't necessarily get into the full details because I don't think he ever made those fully public. So. Well, read between the lines, I guess. <laughs> Moving yeah. in, in a car, you know. Yes, so. and I mean, you know, I mean, none of this really is surprising at this point. It's just, it's weird how much of this stuff gets forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's believed that nearly two-year failed investigation of Titan stemmed from evidence gathered in the George, Dr. George Zaharian trial. I had the numerous FedEx packages from Zahorian to the Titan offices and to McMahon personally and to dozens of other WF wrestlers. Charging the owner and the organization itself in steroid dealings may turn out to be a landmark case when it comes to use in steroid, steroid use in sports. The WF is the first organization in the, indicted for steroid use among its athletes. Many believe this case in that regard is similar to the Zahorian trial, which is also a government landmark case. Zahorian was the first doctor ever to be indicted and later convicted on distributing steroids. To have police in violation of the 1988 law making doctors distributing steroids for non-therapeutic purposes illegal. Since the Zahorian case conviction, several high-profile high steroid doctors, excuse me, high-profile reputed steroid doctors to athletes and much higher-profile sports, most notable of them Dr. Walter Jacot of Los Angeles, known as a major distributor for two big-name bodybuilders, big-time actors, and Olympic sports stars was busted and pled guilty with a guilty plea rather than a trial, as was the case with Zaharian. The names of his clientele was kept quiet. However, his sentence was harsher than Zaharian's. He was sentenced to five years in prison. The story reported on Hogan being believed to be a key witness for the government in the trial and the recipient of steroids of McMahon is alleged to distribute 1988 and 89. Emily Feinberg, McMahon's former personal secretary and whose husband, Michael, is a former WS scriptwriter, who signed for the October 24th, 1989 FedEx package from convicted steroid dealer Zaharian to make man at the Titan offices mentioning the indictment, was also listed as a possible witness against her former boss. Man's attorney, Jeremy Devitt, who ironically was Hogan's attorney and getting Hogan out of testifying in the Zaharian case, was quoting the article only in reference to Cole's lawsuit, saying that Cole's charges in early 1992 are known and admitted to have included a malicious, fabricated lie designed to portray a different contractor as a child molester. McDevitt said McMahon has categorically denied the irresponsible rumors about sexual abuse. When it comes to the trial, McMahon and Titan Sports potentially the biggest story in wrestling in many years and one largely misunderstood by virtually everyone, both within the wrestling profession and those outside reporting on it. The only real news in recent months regarding it was the Supreme Court decision back in December. By 4-3 vote, this court ruled against what had been the government's nearly unlimited seizure of assets, power, and drug cases. The ruling makes it more difficult. But not impossible or even implausible for the government to seize assets, in this case, Titan Towers, the $9.5 million office complex, the headquarters of WWF, and drug cases. The government no longer has power upon a conviction of either the two charges against the company for dis distribution and conspiracy in regards to distribution to seize the building, which is believed to, be, believed to be the biggest potential economic ramification that could come out of the trial. The government, in order to seize the building, would need a guilty verdict in the trial. It does go through a second hearing procedure before it would have the power to seize the complex. The company and the man himself, upon a conviction, still faces a maximum of $1.5 million in fines. 
Anyone without a conviction, the legal bill this ordeal has taken on the company has been at least partially responsible for significant ramifications when it comes to downscaling aspects of the business. McMahon himself is facing a maximum of five years on his conspiracy charge and three years on his personal distribution charge. The t- Titan made a notion to get the cold lawsuit dismissed, but the judge ruled against him. Okay. <sighs> Malicious fabricated lie known and, known and admitted to that. So yeah, it's it's always funny how like when you get these weird denials about the Tom Cole stuff in this era, it's always so vague. Yeah. The reason for that probably being that is Tom it, Tom was telling the truth, not just about what happened, obviously, but also that they locked him in a room and wouldn't let him leave until he signed a bunch of affidavits saying he made everything up. Yeah. Funny how that worked out. I mean. Let's be clear about this. And I don't... I'm assuming they deny it in the response to his initial lawsuit, which I think... I mean, the actual... The one that was filed, which I might have here somewhere. But, like... What he's alleging is basically that they kidnapped him and forced him to sign all these things and wouldn't let him leave until he did. Yeah. And it seems like there's good reason to believe that's true. Because why else are they never explaining when they refute this stuff... Why, like, how is it known and admitted to... Let me actually see what the verbiage is in the article. Because... Hold on, let's see. So, MacDevitt... Uh, okay. His charges, as made and published in early 92, are known and admitted to have included... Okay, it's basically the same wording Dave put, but not as a quote. No, in, in the Observer. Uh, known and admitted to have included a malicious, fabricated lie designed to portray a WWF contractor as a child molester, said McDevitt. Uh, Vince has categorically denied this irresponsible, the irresponsible rumors about sexual abuse. Which... Again, let's remind everyone, too, Vince told Phil Mushnick and Dave Meltzer in the first week of March 92 that he had previously fired Phillips in 88 because he suspected he was a child molester, but not in those words. That he had a peculiar and unnatural interest in children, got rid of them, and then several weeks later hired him back if he would stay away from children. For more on this... Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Yes. And again, before we move on from that, remember, McDevitt, WWE, they've never denied that Vince said that to the two of them. Ever. Not once in the last 31 years. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so as for the steroid stuff, look, we talk about this on the Titan Gate show some. Not actually that much, but the only way to make sense of how the prosecution goes is that... The decision was made that they were going all or nothing to actually get Vince, right? Oh, yeah. They were trying to find a way to get Vince. Absolutely. It has to be, because otherwise, like, why are you not returning any indictments related to the child abuse stuff? Even if it's not getting the company, why are you not going after anyone? Why are you trying to get Mel Phillips to turn on Vince and become a witness against Vince? You know? They had a much better chance with the child stuff. Of actually prosecuting people, yeah, even if they did, wouldn't necessarily get Vince or the company. I mean, they really did. Yes. They they put their eggs in the wrong basket. In part because they didn't realize how math worked. 
and calendars. But again, though, I think if this if this if this situation happened twenty years later, I think that they would go more for the child stuff because that would have oh absolutely that that would resonate more with the media now than it did back then, as we talked about on the Patreon show. Yes, yes. Also, I realized I forgot something. Um, oh, fabricated uh, child abuse allegations, huh? So wait a second. When you got a videotape from a former employee that showed Phillips doing to a boy in the ring before WWF show what basically everyone else accused him of doing, and I'm not going to get specific here, but people have an idea of what we're talking about, the exact same things. You got a copy of it, and the same tape, the FBI's memos on it, say that that's what happened and is shown on the videotapes. And WWF, we know, has a copy of this because there were letters produced in the Mushnick lawsuit about them getting a copy of the video. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, this is this is just the beginning of uh, their 1994 issues as uh, yeah. that year would go along. <laughs> Which also include, you know, McDevitt being distracted and not being able to handle the other stuff, too. Yeah. Like Charles Austin and Jesse Ventura. Mm-hmm. Which yep. we talked I mean we talked about the Charles Austin stuff last week, but not necessarily the McDevitt part. Yeah. But anyway, I I do think if it was McDevitt though, I don't think he would have used the same dumb strategy the other lawyer did. <laughs> no, probably not. Marty Janae was let go for what has been a record four has to be a record four fifth time at the problems on the European tour. Janae and Razor Ramon was scheduled for a tag on a match on the Monday Night Raw live show that was going that airs on February twenty first at Poughkeepsie. Okay, so 87, 92, 93, 94. Yeah, this is the fourth. Although, wait they a second. Wasn't a... there a time where he was, he and Sean were like, go for 48 hours, too? Something like that, yeah. So that's why Dave's saying fourth or fifth, I guess. But, I mean, this had, I mean, they just kept bringing him back, you know? Well, and at this point in time, he's, you know... Doing tremendous work too. Yeah. Um. He, how wild is it though that he's being let go? You know, like what? Just a couple of weeks after losing the tag idols. <laughs> well, he put himself in that position. You know, to yeah. do some stupid stuff in Europe and got and got got fired. But how about that too? This is we talked about him in ninety two. The, the show we did last week, two years before. Why he got fired, and here he is again, getting fired. Also, far from the first time he's caused trouble on a European tour, too. Mm-hmm. Whatever kind it was here, but, you know, previously. Because I don't know if this was ever really put out there of why he got fired on this one. Like, what he specifically did? Not yeah, off the top what, of my head, what, no. Yeah, what, 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 you know, sealed the deal. Because 90, okay, so 87 was, what was it, they got in a fight? Yeah. 88, I think, was they got in a fight with each other before they got rehired right away. Um, yeah. 92 was the arrest. Yeah. 93 was Michael saying that the Royal Rumble match was bad because Jannetty was high. Mm-hmm. And then this. Yeah. Which, yeah, I don't remember any specifics, which... Given some of the stories he's told, the fact that we're not getting specifics makes me think the worst, too. As far as your scale of Marty Jannetty behavior. Mm-hmm. 
Little Richard was announced as singing a national anthem at WrestleMania, and Cy Haircliffe from In Sperling was announced as a guest celeb doing a hair weave on Howard Finkel. It's kind of sad to see a lawyer employee like Finkel having to be publicly humiliated for the sake of people's weird sense of humor. It's the kind of stuff we all used to do in elementary school, but when it's middle-aged men who are bullying lawyer employees, it's really quite sad. Of all the Howard Finkel stuff, this is one of the more innocuous, though. Yeah, but it's everything that goes on with you know over the years with Howard. Yes, it, it, and it's going to get worse. I mean, way worse. Oh yes, <laughs> that's the thing. But again, that's something. If if shit like that happened today, man, I mean, good lord, they'd be they would probably get some some issues off of that. I'm sure some David Bixen span type <laughs> would uh, write uh, write some type of article about Howard Finkel being mistreated by WWF. It depends on what's public at the time, because like so much of like the more specific stuff we've heard about how Vince would treat Finkel is stuff we heard years and years after the fact. Like in this era, it's all very vague for the most part. And the reason why they they did that stuff because they knew how he, he wasn't going to quit. Because they knew how much he loved wrestling and working for that company and being the first employee of the World Wrestling Federation and all that. Kind of makes you wonder what what would happen if he did quit. Uh, given how many bodies he knew knew the location of, proverbially speaking. Uh, yeah. Good question. Well, kind of makes you also wonder how much they were was really paying him too. Hmm. What kind of what, what what his uh, salary was and all the other stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Little Richard uh, at WrestleMania, Cy Sperling. Uh, this WrestleMania, I mean, we've covered this WrestleMania before on this show. Interesting time with the celebrities. <laughs> what uh, a motley crew of celebrities Let's on this see. show. Little Richard, Cy Sperling, Jenny Garth, Tony Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds. Um... Jenny, did I say Jenny Garth yet? Yeah. The the rare contemporary celebrity on on that show. Oh, Ronda Shear. Yeah, Ronda Shear. Well, that you know that's a USA Network tie-in. Right. And Bert, I mean, Bert's a legend, but still, you know, Bert wasn't top, on top of his game at the. Eden Shea was still going on at the time, but I mean, it wasn't nineteen eighty. Burt Reynolds, to say the least. No, but also Burt Reynolds wanted to be there, unlike a lot of the celebrities. Well, well, speaking of, it's suspected that George Steinbrenner will be announced as guest timekeeper ring announcer, and rumor has it the main celebrity of all will be Burt Reynolds. But yeah, by all accounts, Burt Reynolds was was great. Oh, Burt, well, Burt's Burt. No, but loved wrestling and, you know, was actually happy to be there. I'm surprised that Burt never did anything with WCW. It seemed like he would have been a better fit in WCW. Eh. You would think that Ted Turner, Ted Turner and Burt had, a, you know, could have had a lot in common. So, I don't know. What do you mean, the same way that he and Barry Windham had something in common? No, no. Burt okay. <laughs> dabbled in owning sports teams. Oh, okay. Burt uh, was a multi- media you know conglomerate guy i mean in his own way he had his own all this stuff he had going on so yeah i mean they didn't they had a lot of business dealings in common mm. i mean of course burt wasn't as uh rich as ted was but i mean who was so not many 
Ted DiBiase is negotiating for either a possible manager or announcer role. He won't be wrestling until 1995 at the earliest due to neck injuries. So Royal Rumble at this point is just a one shot. Um, yeah. Well, because when does he even – is he even on TV until the corporation angle, like, formally starts? Or is he hosting All-American before that? Or he does all, He's on All-American, for sure. I think that's his first real role. Okay, I'm searching to see what after the Rumble his name first comes up. Uh, okay, wait, that's Rumble still, sorry. Talking about Radio WWF and stuff. Uh... Okay, he's he's doing stuff at the next TV tapings. So they got a, they got something done then, basically, in a way. So yeah, because it's Vince, Vince and Stan Lane's on Superstars, and then there's this Gorilla Monsoon and Stan Lane are hosting Wrestling Challenge. Since Jim Ross has been sidelined with Bell's Palsy, yeah. paralysis on one side of the face. Okay, searching a little bit more, it looks like he doesn't really do anything between those tapings in May. Like, in a role. As a character, right. I presume he's hosting yeah. All-American in the meantime. Well, he's he's announcing. He's definitely he's definitely doing the, um, like, the Matt Classic with Stan Lane. You mean the Memory Lane match? Yes. The Memory Lane match, which I always, I liked those back then. You know what the origin of the Memory Lane match is, right? The origin? How it became no. a segment. Uh, that's because one Johnny Polo was one of the producers of All American, and he wanted an excuse to go through the archives. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. And they showed stuff on those Memory Lane matches that was not the type of thing they showed in like other nostalgia stuff up to that point. It was stuff that was never on Coliseum Video. Yeah, you know that's the thing too. John McAdam had like a. One of his wrestling from the seventies comps he had was almost nothing but matches from that segment. Interesting. Yeah. So, good stuff. Good stuff. It's in, in the syndication of the WF update segment. They featured all the titles won by Bret Hart and ran them down. When mentioning Bret's WF winning the WF title, it was never acknowledged the name of who he won the title from. Ric Flair. Ah, whatever. Well, no shit. <laughs> On the other hand, weren't. though, he's the other company's champion. So why not say that you're the guy who's about to regain the title beat him? Yeah, but that's just not what they did in this era, Vic. No, it's not. So that goes against what they do. All right, we got an interesting week this week as we had no Raw because of the dreaded dog show. So the tours decided to, to review All-American Wrestling, which was quite the show in this era. Because you went from uh, Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan hosting to Bobby Heenan and Joe Fowler. And then Bobby Heenan left, and it became a show inside of uh, the studio at Titan Towers, which was, uh, I guess that was the Raw studio. No, Raw, no the, the, prime the old primetime set, yeah. Yeah, the old primetime set. Just, you know, taping at a different angle. So... Vince became the solo host here at this point in time. So Vince introduced the show. They showed the contrast on WrestleMania between Crush and Randy Savage. Savage was late and arrived via airmail, diving at Crush, nearly clearing the podium. Crush had been bad mouthing Savage early, seconds earlier. McMahon dribbled a basketball as he drew an analogy between Savage and Michael Jordan's hang time. <laughs> ah. shame, shame we don't have this. 
Then they showed the IRS Marty Janani match from Raw the previous week. McMahon interviewed Jim Cornette, Yokozuna, and Mr. Fuji. Cornette was upset with Lex Luger winning the draw because they didn't want to have to face him. During Tatanka versus Jeff Jarrett, a first-run match, which the All-American News era had first-run matches, commentated by Gorilla Monsoon and Stan Lane, Ludwig Borger came to the ringside. Tatanka ran Borger into the ring post. Borger then attacked Tatanka in the ring as Jarrett held him, calls him into the DQ. The two beat on Tatanka, and no one made the save. No friends. In a WrestleMania moment, a clip was shown of Ultimate Warrior pinning Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Funny timing on that one. McMahon then ran down the Mania lineup. Randy Savage beat the moderate Martel in another first-run match for All-American. Martel charged Savage, who moved, so Martel ran the shoulder to the ring post. Savage followed a top rope elbow for the finish. McMahon then did a demonstration of what it was like to climb a ladder. God, I wish you had that. And uh, they announced that Owen Hart, Martin Janetti would be uh, taking place on next week's All American. So somebody's about to get buried. Uh, Wade's analysis with Raw being preempted, All American is going to put through the Torches TV scorecard analysis. The show is definitely a secondary show behind Raw, although a decent program. Too much Vince McMahon. He's good in his role, but he seems to be too intent on putting himself over as a nice guy. Gee, I wonder, I wonder why. why. Stan Lane needs a lot of work on color commentary. The time versus Jeff Jarrett ended before it got started, it seems. All right, we got the score here. All right, so let's run it down. Match quality, 9 out of 20. That's G purpose, 10 out of 20. Angles, 4 out of 10. Interviews, 4 out of 10. Announcing, 3 out of 10. Production value, 6 out of 10. Pacing, 5 out of 10. And soon to tune in next week, 6 out of 10. Give an overall score, score of 47 out of 100. Uh, not great. It gets better. It gets better when Gorilla and Johnny Polo are the host. Yes. So there you go. All right, now we got some results. WF is all over the world. During you skipped our week. something. What I skip? Ratings. Oh yeah, with Raw preempted for the Dog Show, All American did a two point five rating, its highest of the year, while the Saturday Mania show did a one point five. Yes, and uh, looking at Matt Watch. Uh, Raw the week before did a 2.6, and All-American did a 2.3, so not a huge jump for All-American, but it also shows the two shows were fairly close at the time, actually. It depends on the week. Like, you know, if you average out the month, you know, Raw averaged a uh, 2.9, All-American averaged a 2.2, but still, not a bad showing for kind of a dead show. Yeah. Yeah. 1.56 million viewers. I mean, excuse me, households for All-American. So well over 2 million viewers for that. Yeah, it was just... I think the people that was watching All-America were people that had been watching All-American for all that time. Yeah. So, you know, it was one of those deals. Yeah, for me it was always weird, though, because Challenge aired opposite All-American in New York. Yeah. Yeah, kind of productive. All right, WF's all over the world, as I was saying, during our week. We start in Tel Aviv, Israel on February the 8th. Billy Gunn be Adam Bomb, Double J over Jim Powers. You look good, Jim. Ricky Scott Steiner uh, defeated the Quebecers by Canada and Tectonic Match. Quebecers retain. Joint the Clown over Bam Bam Bigelow. Diesel over Billy Gunn, seven for Marty Gennady. And Bret Hart and Lex Luger defeated Yokozuna and Quang in your main event. Hmm. So this crew went from Tel Aviv, Israel to Frankfurt, Germany the next day. That's an interesting ride, I'm sure. Sure. 
Quang over Jim Powers. Diesel over Bob Backlund, something for Marty Jannetty. The Steiners over the Quebecers by Countout. Luger over Double J, something for Ludwig Borga. Doint the Clown defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. Adam Bomb beat Billy Gunn. And the title match, Bret Hart beat Yoko Zuda by disqualification. Yoko retained his title. Then they went to Zurich, Switzerland at the Highland Stadion on February 11th. Quang over Jim Powers, Diesel over Backlund, some for Gennady, Steiner's over Quebecers by Countout, Luger over Jarrett, some for Ludwig, Doink over Bigelow, Adam Bomber, Billy Gunn, and Brett over Yokozuna by Countout. When Fuji hit Brett with the Japanese flag, as Brett had the champion and the sharpshooter. Should that be a DQ on a Countout? I think so. I guess. Yeah. So, how about they got Billy Gunn in Europe and Bart Gunn is on the other tour? As they're in Peterborough, Ontario on February 12th, for 2,400 fans. We got Rip Martell, who's flew in to that over Sparky Plug, one star. Hashingers over Middle Mission Mo and Doink the Clown. <laughs> so we got two people playing Doinks here, Bex. And this one's Lombardi, so the other one's presumably uh, Ray Apollo. Yeah, so half, half a star. Alundra Blazer by Ali Borgen, two stars. Crush over Macho in a false game where I matched my count out. What? Two stars. How's that How's that possible? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let's try to figure this out for a second. We're going to assume these are the same rules they use at WrestleMania, right? I guess. So is this some, someone maybe just assuming it's a count out because those rules are so weird and complicated? I guess. Because it does involve not being able to get back to the ring within a certain amount of time. But my thing is, why are you doing a false game where match on a house show? Run through, brother. I guess, uh, uh, IRS or Tataka, what star? Owen Hart over Bart Gunn, star and a half. And then Razor retained Nicey Teller with Shawn Michaels, two stars. Just hmm. crazy that the guns are separated here like that. Yeah. Hmm. There were no shows this week in the United States, and nothing until the February 24th Poughkeepsie taping, which includes the live Raw show. Didn't he give a different date for that earlier? He did. This is the wrong date. Okay. Um, oh, I just remembered too, by the way. 21st. Yeah, you know what I said earlier about how Chai Island was always opposite All-American in New York? There was at least one yeah. time I remember where Spotlight aired on MSG Sunday at noon as well. Uh, <laughs> who's making these schedules? I don't know. Well, Spotlight was always in kind of a floating time slot, as far as I can remember. Yeah. Bastion Booger will feed with Earthquake. That does not happen, really. No. Earthquakes, I'm glad that probably didn't happen. And there was a press conference in Japan on February 12th where they announced Japanese wrestlers Tenyo Gurichiro, Masao Rihara, Nobukazu Arai, and Yuji Yashiroka will, will uh, be along with Masashi Oyagi, Jensei Shizaki, and Bull Nakano, Kyoko Inoue, and Sakashigawa working the Japan Mania Tour in May. The big surprise for the announcement was that Sushi Onita's name wasn't on that list. Hmm. Medusa, as should be called in Japan, will be wrestling Nakano twice. Kyoko once and Hashigawa once on the tour. Apparently the way the deal is structured is she'll split the matches with Nakano and win her other bouts with Kyoko doing the Hiroshi Hase role of being the good company person and carrying the big name on the major show and putting them over. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, Indeed. so I, I have a question here because he gives promotional affiliations for each Japanese wrestler. What is NSBW that Dave has Aoyagi being part of? 
Um, new skinhead, something like that. I think. I think it's one of those skinhead deals. It's um, a Heisei Ishingun thing. Yeah. Does Aoyagi work the store though? I think he does. So you have a New Japan wrestler. Well, Oyagi was not really a New Japan contracted guy. He was part of Isation Gub, but he was a freelancer. Yes. Okay. Yes, he uh, he works Owen Hart on May 7th. He uh, works Bob Backlund on May 8th. Beats Backlund. Um, he's in a Royal Rumble on May 9th. Jobs to Bigelow on May 11th. And that's his matches. Okay, so I'm looking at cage match. Most of the Aoyagi results for the first part of the year and leading up to Japan Mania, and then later in the year two, are from something called NFW? Well, there you go. I guess that's NSBW, NFW. Okay, so what the hell do I pick here? Um, let me see. Is there a recognizable venue I can pick or something? Uh, not really, actually. So I'll just pick. Okay, I'll pick someone with someone I recognize. All right, so here we go with him against Ashiro Yaguchi on March 23rd. So what promo- What the hell promotion is this? New Fighting Wrestling. And, oh my god, yeah, I haven't heard of a lot of these people. Yeah, this is just an indie scum promotion. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, I mean, we've got... I don't remember a Jun Kikawada. Uh, we've talked about him on the... We've, we've, we've done him on the show. Toyonori Fujita, Keisuke Yamada, Yoshiro Ito, uh, Hito Prehito, Hiroshi Itakura, Yuichi Fukaya. Who's Shigakazo Tajiri? It ain't Yoshihiro Tajiri. No, it's that. not. Uh, Yoshiko Abe, Yoshiro Yaguchi. Huh. So, okay, that that's presumably what Dave is getting at then. Because, yeah, if you... So looking at his other results in 94, like early on, he works the Dome show on January 4th. He works a couple war shows as part of Heising Ancient Gun. He's on a show described as Saishin Kaikan, which I'm assuming is maybe a karate thing. And then it's all these new fighting wrestling, then WWF Japan Mania, then some more, then more uh, new fighting wrestling. And then finally he goes back to FMW later in the year. Yeah. Huh. Had you ever heard of new fighting wrestling before? Uh, no. I mean, I think we may have done some results of theirs on the show once. Maybe once, but it's not something I'm familiar with. No. All right, let's uh, go into Japan proper now. Man, Rising Sun. New Japan Pro Wrestling we'll start off with Hirosaki Citizen Gym on February 9th in front of 4500. We got Takamichi Sasawa, the future Kendo Hashin of Shinjiro Otani. Max Moon, Paul Diamond of El Samurai, Kunai Kobayashi over Tatsu Takeiwa, Katoshi Saino and King Okamura over Osama Kino and Satoshi Kojima, Great Kabuki over Yuji Nagata, Jushin Thunder Liger and Takeuki Azuka over Scorpio Jr. and Wild Pegasus, Benoit, Bobby Eaton, Mike Enos, and Rambo, Lou Poirier, over Akira Nagami, Masaino, and Shinya Shimoto. Now that's a match. <laughs> the Hellraisers, Hot Warrior and Power Warrior over Black Cat Matsuro Chono, and Hiroshi Hase, Manama Nakanishi, Riki Toshio over High Station Guns, Michio Shiro Koshinaka, and Tatsutoshi Goto. So is this the tour where Scorpio Jr. is Red Scorpion, or is this a different one? This is Scorpio Jr. Okay. He is Red Scorpion because 
we'll get to the results in a second. And there's other results has him as Red Scorpion. Okay, so it is that tour. Yeah. I think he has the some matches fe- where he interacts with Eden, even. I'm probably there. All right, the February 12th Tokyo Bay NK Hall show had to be canceled last minute because of the biggest blizzard hit Tokyo in 25 years, which made fans get into the building difficult. More importantly, left the crew stranded in Osaka. The show's rescheduled for March 23rd, but we'll have a different card. Now, Gifu on February 14th from 4,000 fans. We have Manabunaki Nishin, over Tokumichi Isazawa and Yuji Nagata. Osama Kido over Max Moon. Liger and Otani over Wapegasus and Red Scorpion. Masiro Chono over Michio Chihara. Saito and King of Kimura over Akira Nagami and Takuki Azuka. JJ Jax. Power Warrior over Mike Enos. Riki Choshu and Tetsumi Fujinami over Bobby Eaton and Rambo. Fujinami and Eaton on, uh, working against each other sounds like a damn hoot right there. Shiroko Shinaka Tetsushigoto over Hiroshi Asino Samurai, and then Shigashimoto over Great Kabuki in the main event, which that's Hashimoto's hometown. So, what you, any thoughts? Bobby Eaton and Rambo, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Eaton and Luke Poirier as a tag team in New Japan in 1994 against Toshu and Fujinami. Yeah. Yeah. And I forget, does... He does, right? Max Moon, well, Paul Diamond is Max Moon, has more than one tour, right? Uh, yeah. Now, here's the thing about Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton was supposed to go to All Japan in January 84 on tour. He would have been booked through Memphis if he did not go to Mid-South? Um, he just would have been on the tour. I don't know who, who would have been the one to book him in, but he was going to be on that tour. But, I mean, the Midnight Express in Mid-South, that changed everything, I presume. Yes. He canceled the tour. It'd be, that would be interesting to see him on that on that tour, because uh, I think he's replaced by Kelly Kaniski. Hmm. So, he, he, Bobby Eaton teamed up with Steve Olsenowski matches. So, I missed something. Uh, there's like, Sabu. Uh, total three or four tours for Maximum. Well, no, he was Paul Diamond on the previous tour and then he's Max Moon on this one on the July tour. Yeah. There's Tucker Sabu being brought in for the April 16th Junior Heavyweight All-Star show. That's the super the original Super J Cup show. Yes. That does not happen though. He doesn't show up, no. The February 12th television show which aired matches from Sapporo earlier in the month drew a whopping nine point one rating. Making the highest rated per wrestling television show so far this year. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. By the way, do we assume Sabu maybe got an offer to work the J-Cup but turned it down because he's a heavyweight brother? <laughs> Who knows what Sabu, what his mindset was. War. Earthquake John Tenta cancels war toward him because he's rejoining WF. Yeah, they talk about feeding with Bastion Booger. Yeah. <laughs> and he quits very quickly. And goes back yes. to working for Tamra. Well, he queet. Yes. All right, the uh, FMW. The irony of all ironies. Asushio Nita has been hired by an AIDS awareness group in Japan as a celebrity spokesperson, warning young people against a reckless lifestyle and doing television public service announcements. What's more reckless than cutting open several body parts daily and bleeding and being bled on? Or how about with open wounds diving into the freezing, polluted rivers? <laughs> <laughs> that 
That is an interesting call to use Anita in this, but I guess I got to go with somebody that's, that appeals to the youngsters' picks. Sure. And notice that, you know, and, and it's interesting that Dave is criticizing him, criticizing the call, not because of Anita's possible proclivities outside the ring. It's all the stuff he does inside the ring. Well, maybe Dave does not know about all the cavorting with the uh, ladies of the evening and the like at that time. True, but it's just interesting that this is, you know, the way he, how he goes with that. And it's interesting. It, it goes to the whole thing about AIDS and wrestling. You know, the whole thing about blood and open wounds and all the other stuff. So Dave is going in that direction here with his uh, criticism of that decision. So, but anyway. All right, FMW ran a show in Fukuyama on February 11th in front of 2816. As a over Mr. Chin, Yuka Nabeno and Miwasato over Bad Nurse Nakamura and Keiko Iwami. Masato Tanaka over the Dart Ranger. Damian, Ultraman Dos Mil Hermesco beat Tetsuro Kuroda. Megumi Kudo over Malia Hasaka, Leilani Kai, Lola Gonzalez, and Lo, excuse me, Leilani Kai, Lola Gonzalez, Bambi, and Neftali over Crusher Mail Damari, Combat Toyota, Sharshashuya, and Safari Mac. Wow. Oh, right? <laughs> Bambi! And Leilani Kai. And Malia Hasaka, also foreigner on this tour. <laughs> yes. Well, the foreigners are about to get even better, Chris. Primo Carnero. Junior, and I'm presuming be- that it's Primo Carnero the third today, aka Big Yeah, yeah, beat Sabo Osako and Battle Ranger, Mr. Pogo, Hiskasa Oya, and Gorshirumi. Well, excuse me, a lot of men man in this match, Mr. Pogo, Hiskasa Oya, Gorshirumi, Hideki Asaki, and Masaru Toy over Asushi Onida, Tarzan Goda, Mr. Gandasuke, Kasutoshi Niyama, and Koji Nakagawa in 2248. Sure, <sighs> wow. <laughs> Now that's a that's a crew right there, Bambi and Leilani Kai, in that multi woman match. So to be clear, your whole foreign crew for this tour is Damian Seisseis, Malia Hosaka, Leilani Kai, Lola Gonzalez, Bambi, Neftali, and Primo Carnera the third. Yes. What? <laughs> Who's booking this foreign talent? Yeah, that's a hodgepodge. <laughs> Telling you. Is Combat Toyota Bambi's Piggly Leather on this tour, Bix? In the ring? Yes, I'll say that. <laughs> Maybe. I guess so. Wing. They sold out Cork and Hall on February 11th for the final match of Ghetto and Jado before they joined war. After the match, my associate Mategi grabbed the house mic and wished both men well on their future endeavors with war. <laughs> See, the WWE stole their lingo from Mategi, Bix. I have so many questions now. When suddenly Kendall Nagasaki of NOW at the ring with a chair and clobbered everyone inside. <laughs> Yukio Kanemura returns on the 15th, which will lose the time match for 90 days against Bad Boy Hito. But you got wonder who's losing that match. Um, so the rest of the, the bill here are Corkin, Motegi in the opener beat Hiroshi Ono, Deadly Fred. Falls can anywhere, Zuyama over Miss Janeth. 
Smart Bart Sawyer over Kazuka Matsuzaki. Then we had a barbed wire chain match as Freddy Krueger beat the winger. Then we had another barbed wire match where Leatherface, Rip Patterson, Jason Terrible, Roberto Rodriguez beat the Headhunters. And then our main event, Motegi doing double duty picks with Nobutaka Araya and Shoji Nakamaki, Lama Namanumi, beating Gato, Jado, and Hito in your main event, 23-43. Sure. Smart Bart Sawyer. <laughs> so here we have Zulyama, Miss Still ja- Janet, or Jeanette, I think was the intended pronunciation Janet. at this point. Well, she's Janet, not Janet yeah. yet, because the spelling hasn't changed yet. But yes, so Zulyama, Mrs. Janeth, Bart Sawyer. <laughs> Who's Freddie Patterson at this point? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm surprised. It ain't Tracy. Don't. Tracy's in Smokey. Right. Okay, give me a second. I'm pulling up Cage Match. Well, he was other. Tracy was other face senior. Anyway, so. Well, no, he was also a new Jason too at one point. Yeah, uh, Jason, yeah, that's what it was. was. He wasn't Freddy. Maybe he was a Leatherface, too. I don't remember. And what's the date on this show? Uh, The 13th. Okay, this one's not on Cage Match. 11, 11, 11. 11. Okay, Okay, so let's see. So this is uh, We Are Wing, Danger Zone, Korriken. Okay, so... Highway to the Danger Zone. Okay, so we want to see who Freddy Krueger is here. Oh, of course, it's Bob Bargale. <laughs> How did we not know that, Bix? Robert O'Connor is going to uh, rip us unmercifully next time he's on the show for not knowing that. Well, in fairness, even if we had the video, you couldn't tell because he's wearing a full mask and bodysuit and gloves and everything. You wouldn't really be able to tell race or build or anything. <laughs> and why would you do that to Bob Barrigale? I guess Victor's not in that much power at the time here. Obviously not. You know, if if, if we would have waited and had this conversation later we could have had we could have got our answer right here former new japan wrestler masashi oyagi skinheads formed his own promotion called shinkakatogi pro wrestling or nsbw new stage battle is wrestling <laughs> okay so are we assuming that's nfw or something else new stage battle Who knows? New fighting. I... wait is new stage battle as wrestling not of wrestling it's Japan, Biggs. Yeah, true. We just should have waited. So there's our answer. Okay. And and no, Dave has skinheads as Oyagi's affiliation. Once there is a Heisation Gun quoting per quote promotion, he just he calls it Heisation Gun from then on, though, right? Uh, not really. Or does he still call them heads, <laughs> the group skinheads? He still calls them skinheads too. Okay. Blood Outlaws. <laughs> I thought Blood Outlaws was a thing, though. Well, there there were the Blonde Outlaws. But only no, two of them are blonde. I, no! no, no I mean, I've been in Blonde Outlaw watching for the past few weeks now. Tasso Shigoto is full blonde, full platinum. Hiro Saito, Hiro Saito is, is he's like dirty blonde. Dirty blonde. Now, what and about... Noyonaga is like... Is strawberry blonde. Okay, I've never now, seen Super Strong Machine's not. wearing a mask. No, Super Strong Machine's wearing a mask, so sure. he's not blonde. She got but that's the members the of the group. Okay. So Hanaga isn't so, yeah. blonde long, though, is he? He's blonde 
throughout the entire year 1990 for sure. That's where I'm at now. Still, okay. I'm about to leave 90 and about made the whole year. He's blonde like Sting was blonde um, in 89. Okay. WCW. In that latter half 89 where he let his hair go darker. Okay. But still blonde. That's an August blonde. At the Hoist Gracie when the Ultimate Fight Preview in the United States, which received strong coverage in both wrestling combat magazines in Japan, the Gracies are receiving inquiries from Rings, Pancrase, Masaki Sataki's Karate Promotion, and New Japan. But thus far, his asking price has to be too high for any of the groups to bite. So Masaki Sataki Karate Promotion should be translated as K1, I would think. Uh, yeah. And Hoist doesn't do anything, but Shudo makes an offer to Hickson, and they do the first Valley Tudo Japan show. Yeah. Not long after this. Yeah. Last month, Akira Maeda said well, I was just going to say, and Shudo is still Sayama at this point, too. Well, yeah. Last month, Akira Maeda said he wanted to wrestle against Nobuka Takata, Matsukas Fanaki, or Minoru Suzuki. You know, if I simply ignore what Maeda said, while Pancras publicly said it would never happen, both Suzuki and Fanaki are interviewed in Weekly Pro Wrestling, the magazine that itself is at odds with Maeda for his continuing saying he's not a pro wrestler, and the magazine magazine criticizing his attitude for saying it, and him responding by denying them access. Both said they were, weren't willing to meet or talk with Maeda, but would work with rings if Maeda wasn't part of the group. <laughs> Too bad because he's the guy running it. Okay. Oh, that Maeda. He was a hard ass. <laughs> And it's a damn shame. It really is. What? That we didn't get. He was a hard like, ass. Oh, if he could, if he would have played ball a bit more, I mean, we could. I mean, there's no telling what could have happened, but what kind of stuff we could have got business wise. But he wanted he he wanted to be fucking legit so bad that you know. Yeah. It, it is weird to think about. Like, what what does New Japan look like with him as the top star? Because he was, like, supposed to be Inoki's heir apparent. Well, we had this discussion the other day. I mean, well, how different is it if Choshu doesn't come back? Mm. Because that's what changes everything. I mean, I'm thinking more 83, 84 than later. Oh, well, I mean, it's the WWF and all that, that thing that pisses him off. True. So. Yeah, because remember, UWF initially is just another New Japan-style promotion. Yeah. All Japan women held a press conference on February 8th and announced the following matches for their March 27 Yoko Marina show. Asha Kongo Nakano against Akira Hokuto and Shinobu Kandori. Kiri Suzuki and Mayumi Miyazaki against Eskomita Mimishimoto, LCO. Miki Honda and Yashikura and I defend the tag tiles against Karito Tomoko Watanabe. And Kandio Kutsu defending the All Japan Junior title against the winner of the Junior League. An experience division, not a weight division, tournament that will be held in March on the All Japan house shows. The cards get to be announced over three separate press conferences. Well, they CMLL? Oh, the con not going to match with the cards main event. Rumor has it the company's building to a November 10th Tokyo Dome show, which should only be Hokuto's retirement match, but also a retirement show for Nakano, who due to injuries from several of the younger wrestlers is being pushed back into the spotlight after being phased down last year. At the same press conference, all women announced that Nakano will wrestle Medusa on two of the WF house shows in Japan in May. So, uh... They're getting their cards ready for a big 1994, that's for sure. Yep. How far out do we think they knew so, they had the Dome show coming? 
Well, obviously they knew it here because. Oh wait, sorry, you read. Yeah, yeah, I glossed right over it that you had it here. Well, that's the wrong date though. But yeah. Oh, it's well, a rumor yeah. at this point. So, I mean, but H- Hokuto's retirement was the plan. Bull ends up getting the WWF title at that show, but so they have an idea at least at this time. Yeah. Namachi, real name Sammy Namata, announced her retirement this past week. She has suffered serious neck injury on January 29th, and that combined with her recurring bronchial asthma limited her progress athletically and made her decide against coming back. I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, how tough must she have been, though, to get through that dojo with bronchial asthma, though? Yeah. I mean, it says a lot yeah, that she was right able to that. get through the dojo. I mean, it, well, it's probably more than neck injury, too, but... As far as the asthma, like, I'm sure the schedule was an issue, too, compared to the dojo, because remember, everyone, we do not have close to complete results for All Japan Women. No. All Japan Women ran significantly more shows than any other promotion in Japan. Yeah. A lot of those women working 250 to 300 matches a year. Mm Mm-hmm. And not being paid very well to do it, either. Uh, no. February 12th in Kure, in front of 1820. Miki Yoko over Akiko Abe. Kamika Mikao of Rie Tamada. Elcio, Mimi Shibori over Chikaku Shiratori and Tomoko Yumiko Hota and Suzuka Manami over Manami Toyota and Sakashikawa. Toshio Yamada over Karo Ito. And Ajakang Bull Nakano over Takako Inoue and Kyoko Inoue. Double Inoue. Main event. JWP on their uh, February 11th card at Corken Hall. Hikaru Fukuoka. The Manami Toyota clone, the Space Flying Tiger Drop. Cart went across the ring and in the move with a moonsault tope. It was the first time anyone in Japan's done the move since 1983 when the original Tiger Mask did the move. Results of this show, Cork in front of 2020. Saw Fasaya Nochi over Hir- Hiromi Sumo, Boshoi Kid over Hiromi Yaganuma, Hikaru Fukuoka over Kudi K- Suzuki, Shigusa Nagai over Plum Mariko. And Dynamite Kensai and Mimizaki over Dumb Masami and Kandu Okutsu in your main event. Space Flying Tiger Drop, Bix. Yeah, and you know, you look at those results for a smaller promotion, they have a pretty strong roster at this time. Yeah, and they did pretty damn good a cork in here. I, I would think that'd be a legit house. Yep. You know, they benefited, obviously, from the interpromotional stuff, but this show at least is all JWP roster talent. Well, I guess Okutsu is... Is Okutsu All Japan Women, or is she WWP? I think she's WWP at this point. Okay. So, yeah. So, they do... I mean, well, Chiguza... Is Chiguza with JWP, or is she a freelancer? Uh... I think she's freelancer. So, yeah. So, no one from All Japan Women, regardless, though. And they packed Karakin and put on what sounds like a very good show. So, good for them. All right, let's go to North America now. We'll go to Canada. Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling. They ran a show at the Victoria Community Club in Calgary on February 11th. We have a, uh, I guess these results are in reverse. Robbie Austin of a Randy Rude, Rudd, R-U-D-D. Black Bart, not the American Black Bart, over Steve Wilde, that's W-I-L-D-E. And our main event, a ladder match. For the Canadian Rocky Mountain Mid Heavyweight title, as Lance Storm retained, beating Chris Jericho. 
And this is the match where I believe the legend is that The Rock was on the Stampeders at the time and saw it on public access, but people are pretty sure that's not true, right? Uh, probably. Something like that. And uh, we'll have more on Lance and Chris Jericho later on in the show. Oh. Yes. Just remember, this is February 11th in Calgary. Just remember that day. All right, uh, Mexico. On February 10th in Klakla, Takla, excuse me, Takala, excuse me, that's how you say it. Uh, Mysterioso turned once again with a pretty unique finish. In a trios match, Mysterioso was teaming with uh, Volador and Torero against Hecatombe, Maraboto, and Terremoto. Volador and Torero each had guys in submission holes during the third fall. Mysterioso ran in, took an obvious dive, and put the other surprise Rudos foot on him and held it down on him as referee Torotis counted to three, so the Rudos won. After the match, Torero and Mysterioso started arguing with Volador again at the end of the Peacemaker. Finally, the two hugged, and when Torero turned his back, Mysterioso hit him a clothesline, turning Rudo for the second straight week. And this time, Volador saw it and tried to save Torero, but was held in the corner by Torotis. Oh, those lucha turns, where guys would uh, turn Rudo like four times in a row, four weeks in a row before finally making that big turn. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the best, in, or sli- well, I was going to say slash worst, but this one actually went well. The most drawn out one is the whole Tarzan boy Infernales thing, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Where they were teasing him and Satanico not liking each other and him getting Ray Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero to split off for, what, a year? Well, it's not just that. It's that he he was turning on his teammates every week. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Stupid. But that's the way it goes sometimes. All right. Um, Los Piazos then faced Lismark and Yilda Lismark and Anjalisteca winning by DQ. When one of the clowns faced, he'd been hit with a low blow behind Tarantes' back, but Tarantes called what he didn't see for the Piazos' 78th consecutive victory. They really were pushing the winning streak on television. The only funny thing about the Piazzos is that during the ring intros, they announced them as Piazzo Numero Uno, and all three raised their hand. <laughs> Piazzo Numero Dos, and again, all three raised their hand. Piazzo N- Numero Tres, and all three raised their hand. <laughs> See, that would work better if they all had the same mask. It is funny. I guess it's funnier, though, that, that they don't have the same mask when they do that like that. But <laughs> So when do they start calling them Coco... Then whatever color. Later on. Okay. They were one and two and three. Yeah. Man, man, the, the, this show saw Conan Abobaro, Paraguayo Tenebles Jr. go against Los Hermanos Dinamita. San Carlos, Mascano, Universal, and with the Dinamitas getting DQ when Conan and Pedro both gave him fouls on the floor and left Lang and they tripled up on Tenebles and ripped off his mask. Good, he deserved it. All right, February 11th in Ciudad Madero was one of the two hottest shows so far this year with a rabbit crowd of 15,200 packing the Central de Convenciones. Pippinola Escalada debuted, team with Mayflowers as the Technico Transvestites. It's older Rudo Transvestites, Baby Sharon and Rudy Reña. Well, the TV gimmick doesn't play in our culture well. Pippinola's one hell of a worker. Oh, I'll say. <laughs> you know... Cassandra is an amazing performer and deserves all the praise. Pimpy was an even better worker than Cassandra. Yes. Yes. And Pimpy was even better to gimmick. Because I'll say this, Cassandra, I think, plays babyface better. And I don't know if Pimpy would have 
play to babyface in the states as well as Cassandra does. Cassandra does it. Okay, here's the, here's the difference. Cassandra does it with a panache, a flash. Pimpy's just straight up pimping, you know. Yeah, I think I get what you're saying. Um, and also, you know, as far as the cultural thing, yeah, maybe in '94, at least for, but especially with them as baby faces at this time, you know, that generation, especially Pimpy and Cassandro, you know, in other words, the you know the pioneers of the era where the um, exoticos are actually played by gay men. They saw it as more of a reclamation thing. Yeah, because, you know, in the early days, Zodokos was played by straight guys. Yeah, you know, Lila La- 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 La was all straight guys. I mean, El Bello Greco, I mean, his, he's the father of the Stones. <laughs> yes, and Supercalo. Yeah, Su- yeah Supercalo and Stones, yeah. You know, and they so. tweaked to the gimmick, you know, they added more of the makeup and the pantyhose and stuff. Flashing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Lila La- 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 La was pretty much just they didn't play the gimmick up that much in their work either. They didn't do as much. Comedy. No, not close no. as much, if any. No. In the finale, a trio match saw Conan, Ia de Santo, and Angel Azteca being in La Parca, Psicosis, and El Satanico. When Conan pinned Parca in the finale, they started building the Parca Technico turns as Parca argued with Satanico throughout the match. Santo and Psicosis did the Sebu lightning kid spot where Santo dove out Southern on Psicosis on the apron and gave him a senseless flip off the apron into the floor. Dave's not sure it's possible to do this spot without getting injured, as Lightning Kid was shaking up when he did it. And Sakosis wound up spending three days in traction when he did it. Oof. That son bitch kept going, though. <laughs> it's amazing that, to me, that Nietzsche is still able to do the stuff he does today with all the, the punishment he put himself through in his younger days. I mean, he slowed down a lot, but he's still... A yeah, but come on. Look at I me. Mean, look at the crazy shit he did. I mean, he has a bump named after him, for God's sakes. <laughs> the psychosis bump. Anyway, the results of this show, full results. Berante, Diamante, and Zafiro. Over Anandamatar, Gallego, Mr. Condor. Los Diabolicos. Otroncito, Terrorito, Enforolocito, Over Espantito, Facita Carrera, Emperatito Morgan. Mayflowers of Pepinio Escalado, Baby Sean and Rudy Reña, Supercalo, Toretto, and Winners, Abiso Negro, Over Spectro Jr., Ubuntu Guerrero, and Picudo, Liz Mark, Solar, and Super Muñeco, Over Herodes, Ice Killer, and Rambo, and then Anastaka, Ia de Santo Conan, Over Parker, Sicosis, and Satanico. They take TV again the next night in Iroporto in front of 7,500 fans. Baby Sharon, Rio Reña, and the Rose over Mayflowers, Femina Escalada, and Santa Esmeralda. Uh, Raca Valente, Tony Arce, and Volcano, Los Destructores over Latin Lover, Misterioso, and Volador. Mexican National Women's Tag Titles, La Rosa and Vicky Carranza over Matavillobos and Paratener Sereña. No time, didn't say who the champions were. And Evi Metal, Octagon, and Paraguay over Jerry Estrada, Mascot, and Universal Mill. We're not done yet. The next night, another TV taping. Auditorio Benito Juarez in Zabapan in front of 15,000 fans. You don't think this promotion is fucking hot? <laughs> Mascarillo Sagrada, Microcon, and Otogacito. Went up against Estretito, Jerito Estrada, and La Parquita. Los Payasos, Coco Amarillo, Coco Zoom, Coco Rojo. Over Herodes, Ice Killer, and Rambo. 
Angel Azteca and Yo Dos Santo over Jose Guerrero and Sacosis. And Conan Perogoyo and Tinebus Jr. over the Dinamitas. Your main event. That semifinal sounds like a hell of a tag match. Oh yes, but man, I mean look at look at, look at how look at these shows, look at these crowds. And it's just just beginning ninety four for AAA. I mean, they're about to have a just mega year. This is one of those times where you you can put the blame on the economy for how things went, and it's not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That I mean, the two the two big things that got him was our bars death and the economy. Yeah. Economy more than our bars death, obviously. But yeah, right. Not just how it hurt people being able to spend money, but also all the Americans pretty much couldn't afford to work there anymore. Yeah. CMLL. Juan Herrera, the former EMLO booker who jumped the AAA some months back, returned last week and brought the trio of the Anja Blancos with him. There are rumors of several other big names jumping from AAA as well, but they have yet to materialize. Did he really go to AAA and back? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he probably, he probably promoted shows with AAA talent. Okay. When he wasn't with EMLL. <laughs> I... Or CMLL. I'll, I'll leave this one up to you. <laughs> Vampiro's musical group, El Teatro de la Vampiros, Vampire Theater, has a concert in Mexico City in late February. It's now said the reason why he didn't wrestle from January from December 29th to January 7th was because he took time off to have a nose job. Vampire did appear this past... So we got Vampiro and Vampire. Vampire did appear this past week with his band on a proper television show and said that a lot of flash, but not much substance. Sounds like his ring work. And his voice wasn't that good, but he had great energy and stage presence. Like his ring work. Sounds like his, like his ring work. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm guessing the nose job, if they expl- if it, he did get a nose job, which his nose does look different in the earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. So I could see that being true, but isn't there also the whole thing around this time where he claims he's retiring due to asthma? Well, I mean, how many times has he... Fake retirements and all this other shit. No, but it, like, is the nose job supposed to help his breathing or something? I don't know. I guess. Lord. Vampire and Vampira. Yes. What? CML and EMLO. All right, uh, Rena Costello on February the 8th. We got partial results. Emilio Charles Jr., Hakabate, and Javier Yanis, Real Dandy, La Fiona, Silver King by DQ, and Yanis fake the foul from Dandy. Best of Vahe Mochokuno, Sangre Chicano, Rebundeme Jr., Mascara Magico, and Ringo Mendoza. And Atlantis, Jr., and Ultimo Dragon went to a draw with Ish Enrique. No. Negro Casas and Petoff. Well, more here in a minute. Then Rimesco on February 11th, Friday night show, Olimpico and Olimpa, Sobre Escudero Rojo and Reyes Feos. La Diabolica and Reino Jabuki. Kirokado. Over Cynthia Moreno and Lady Apache. Yo de Gladiador, Felino, and Kung Fu over Sikon Ramirez, Atureno, and La Sombra. Alanti, Silver King, and Osmo Dragon over Ishin Ricky, Mocho Kota, and Negro Casas. And then Mila Charles Jr. Petoff and Yamato, Kim Doc, Tiger Taguchi, Tiger Chen Lee. If you King Haku, Redisco Jr., and Vampiro by disqualification. That's a fucking match right there. <laughs> now, Yamato, who's one of UWA's top rudos, just to CMLL on February 11th. They started by feud with King Haku. He's believed the CMLA UWA split was part of the reason for this move, since Duck now works for Warren Japan, and Warren has a close affiliation with this group. Why not? So AAA is running, you know, these shows of all these great high flyers and stuff. 
See what I was about to do Haku and Tiger Chun Lee. It's a feud. Sure. Now they do have this. Corazon de Leon, Chris Jericho will return on March the seventh after his Japan tour. Presumably to drop his NWA heavyweight title before heading full time to Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the end of March. Yep. Ishinriki's being destroyed by the press as he doesn't know how to work the lucha style. Well, that's not the only style he doesn't know how to work. <laughs> on the other hand, Akira Hokuto has been said to be nothing short of incredible, even compared by some to Michael Jordan as an athlete of such superior talent. She's working with a mask on. Yeah, she was she was a hell of a talent, that's for sure. And uh, she was <laughs> worlds better than some of the talent they had in Mexico at that time in the women's division. Yeah. I would I would say though that Toyota is more than Michael. Jordan of this era of women. Yeah. I don't know what that would make Hokuto in NBA terms. Um, hmm. Maybe Magic Johnson, I guess. I don't know. But anyway. Uh, start and stop retirements. That works. Yeah, there's that too. Um, yeah, Ishinriki. Uh, <laughs> Boy, they only watch him work in Japan. <laughs> the thing that gets me about Ishinriki is that, especially in Japan, he's booked like someone who's good. Yes. He's put in matches with guys that, based on who they're surrounding him with, you'd expect him to be good. Yes. He is not. No. All right, UWA. The AAA UWA alliance has already started as Conan appeared on the February 11th show in Cuadratado and up the weekly average crowd from 100 to 1,000. There's three days publicity, and they're spending sell 2,000 February 18th with Santo Paraguayo showing up. If here's the build up Conan versus Connect for the UWA title, or they still have to approve the long term aspects of certain ideas with UWA's top stars, Connect, Dos Caras, Viano Tercero, and El Signo. They're going to work the alliance similar to Japan, where wrestlers going to the other promotions show first and get into arguments. Then having promotion versus promotion matches. There's even talking about an idea of having some mid-level AAA guys fake jump in UWA in order to feud them with the current AAA crew. Excuse me, I guess UWA crew. Uh, Antonio Pena wants to give the Mascara Sagradas, Heavy Metals, Sakosas, Latin Lovers, and Amos, Tenten Amos Jr. Big push in 1994. Well, no, no, what Dave wrote there is correct. Have triple, mid-level AAA wrestlers jump to UWA and have oh, them on the okay, UWA yeah. side yeah. in order to feud with the current AAA crew. Uh, yeah, I read it, read it wrong, yes. All right, Toreo, on February 13th, we have La Gata and La Indonable, and went against Lady Magic and Linda Starr. El Marnaca via Cruz, Ruben Waters Jr., and Vita Hiroki went beat Black Power 2, Bucanero Jr., and Loco Zanacantu. Celestial, Supernuco, and Super Raton over the Machos, 1, 2, and 3. The Vianos, 1, 4, and 5, over El Signo, Nicanavarro, and El Tejano, Los Mercenarios de la Muerte. And connect Dos Caras and Granamada over in Enrique Vera, the Killer, and Villano Tercero in your main event. Like we've said before, even when these shows look good, it's the same guys every week. Yes. In pretty much the same spot on the card. Yes. Yep. That's why they needed to work with other promotions at this time. Yep. All right. Well, it's halftime. So after some great 1994 commercials, we'll pivot to the halftime seven show. Where we'll begin talking about Patreon, we'll uh, hit some plugs, all that, and then we'll come back where we'll go back to the United States where we'll play an amazing Terry Funk promo from television, ECW television. we have all sorts of random indie shit to talk about. And Smoky Mountain, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. We'll talk about that and the TV the day for the show with some interesting promos from Terry Funk as well and others. All that more after the break. 
This cereal and milk is high in calcium, but take away the milk and it's still high in calcium because it's whole grain total. Of all these cereals, only total is an excellent source of calcium even before you add milk. Calcium rich whole grain total. Lots of cereals have prizes inside the box. Now, Total, our prize is the whole box. That's right, a free box of whole grain Total. Crispy flakes rich in calcium. Look for mail-in certificates on specially marked boxes. But hurry, they're going fast. I thought you might like to see what a day in the life of Weight Watchers' new Superstar program looks like. Eating meals like this is what helped me lose more than eight pounds in only two weeks. More importantly, it got me started and gave me the confidence to keep going. As of today, I've lost a total of more than 13 pounds. So you can see that Superstart really does work if you're in a hurry to get started. Come to Weight Watchers now while it costs only $14 to join. Come on, call now. Thursday, you just gotta catch Must See TV with a special Man About You. Who'd want to miss that? Then nothing happens on an all-new Wings except a chimp flies the plane, Babe becomes a lobster, Brian's a magician, and Helen does a striptease. Huh? Need I say more? Then on an all-new Seinfeld, find out what makes Jerry say. She was totally normal up until the apple pie. Yeah. And Frazier couldn't care less about the radio awards. I was nominated! I was nominated! But how far will he go to win? Thanks for the bathrobe. Love the watch. Only Frazier, plus L.A. Law, Must See TV, NBC Thursday. Because many places in the world come with crowbars as standard equipment, the new Volkswagen Jetta comes with an anti-theft alarm system as standard equipment, too. To discover the real difference between the world's two leading soft drinks, we're implementing an anthropological study. Chimp A will be allowed nothing but Coke. Chimp B, nothing but Pepsi. The results are astounding. The chimp that drank Coke showed improvement in motor skills. The chimp that drank Pepsi, however, disappeared. Hello? It's him! <laughs> oh, so it's my fault. I didn't say that. Well, then what do you say? You don't listen. You never change. The new Volkswagen Jetta has an adaptive automatic transmission. It senses the way you drive and adjusts to fit your personality. Maybe you are. Maybe I'm not. It's a shame we only make cars. Next on Wings. You got engaged? Is Brian a one-woman man now? He's too busy staring at that babe over there on the phone. Only Wings, next. 65 miracles have happened in this sacred place. Now meet those who have been cured by its mystical power. An extraordinary new unsolved mystery. NBC Wednesday. Meet Michelle Fields, free-spirited, adventurous. Among other things. Anyway, when Michelle drove a Pontiac Grand Am with a powerful V6 and sports suspension, she knew she found her fun car. Well, I do love the way it drives. You bet. But actually, it's the quality feel. And with a standard airbag and anti-lock brakes for thousands less than your quarter Camry. My Grand Am was too good to pass up. So the new Grand Am is the fun choice and the smart choice. You are really quick. It's the number one recommendation of doctors. Doctors have prescribed Monistat for years. The number one choice of women. It's what I used whenever I had a yeast infection. Monistat 7 cream starts to soothe on contact and cures yeast infections fast. And now it's available in improved disposable cardboard applicators. Monistat works. It's the cure I trust. There are other creams. My doctor said Monistat is still the right cure for me. That's all I had to hear. Monistat, the number one choice of women, the number one recommendation of doctors. 
next Monday, based on the true story of the biggest adoption scam of our time. She conned me. She used me. I have a right to change my mind. No! She robbed dozens of childless couples of their money and hope until one woman stopped her. Sybil Shepherd. That was my baby. Baby Brokers, NBC, next Monday. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1994 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We're going to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And uh, we're halfway through the month of February now, so we will have the next show coming out in a couple of weeks. We've already started recording it. Part two of our two part series on A Year in the Life of Paul Heyman, 1993. And we have released our first show uh, the end of January. We looked at the months of January through May. And now we pick up in June. And uh, the first show features that long interview Paul did with John Clark and Wrestling Flyer, which took up the bulk of the show. So in this show, we're picking up in June. And uh, we've already recorded part of it. Well, pretty much half of it already. And uh, what a show this is already, as uh, we talk a lot about the World Wrestling Network and uh, the plans going into their first set of shows they have planned in July, which ended up being one show. (laughs) We cover all that drama. We cover that show itself. And we're talking about, you know, ECW stuff as well, since Paul is still working with ECW, and we got Eddie Gilbert stuff in that. So, uh, yeah, already good stuff on this show already, and then we'll uh, finish recording it uh, this week and have that out uh, before the end of February as we'll cover uh, everything leading up to Paul's uh, replacement of Eddie Gilbert's The Booker of ECW in 93. So we'll have all that drama going on. So, yeah, should be a hell of a show. Uh, already had some people reach out to me this week and tell me how much they enjoyed the first show. So always glad to hear that. Yes. And, um, you know, we just uh, hope that you continue to enjoy these shows. And yes, since it's the end of the series, we'll have the announcement of what will take place in March on uh, the Patreon show. And that should be uh, quite the subject, folks. Just get ready for that one. Yes. A timely, a timely uh, episode. Let's just yes. leave it at that right now. A timely yes. episode. Yes. And on the part two of the aim and we've already gotten through a torch talk that he does that uh, <laughs> is probably the first really slippery Paul Heyman uh, interview that we can think of. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Slippery. Yes. So, uh, this is after they uh, canceled the TV tapings and it's very, very, very Heyman voice, which <laughs> did you see, by the way, the, uh, the variety article where no. he's talking about how much, Roman Reigns deserves to win an Emmy for the bloodline. I did see that line. Yes. Well, why not? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash 20 sheets, $5 gets you access to that. And all the other audio that we've done in our six plus years of the Patreon. So everybody go check that out. Dollar month gets you access to the discord. Thanks to this segment, $25. I should pick a show for the week. Have two shows in mind, just in case the original show you want to get done is something we've already touched on. Um, if you have any questions, get with us, and we're trying to get your show figured out. Let us know why you want to do the show, all that good stuff. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website to uh, get that information to Bix so he can get it set up on the calendar. 
$15 segment for that show and 100 for the whole show if you choose. So that's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big Scott, this week is our new and or returning patrons. We've got a bunch. Um, awesome to hear. Actually, oh yeah, okay. I scrolled down on my list. I, w- I wanted to make sure I had everyone. All right, so we would like to thank... I, I, maybe we had him at the end last week. I'm not sure. Uh, Ross Frazier. If we did, we'll thank him again. Thanks, Ross. Sam O'Connor went from a dollar a month to five dollars. Thank you, Sam. Mike Poulin or Powlin. I forget if he gave us a pronunciation. Poulin. Did a uh, $25 pledge. Thank you, Michael. And then the rest, I think, yeah, the rest are all your usual $5. So we would like to thank uh, Matt. Thanks, Matt. BJ Hatch. Thanks, BJ. Michael Murphy. Thanks, Michael. Pesic or Bust. Pesic or Bust, we thank you. As in Jack Pesic, I presume. I guess so. And we've got Daniel Hoey. Thanks, Daniel. Cole Havens. Thanks, Cole. Daniel Cookler. Thanks, Danny. Sean Watts. Thanks, Sean. Big J. Sampson. Big J. Sampson. We got some of the, the class. Danny Cookler, Big J. Sampson. Yes, thank you. Uh, Steve Gallacher. Thanks, Steve. Marquez Crouch. Thanks, Marquez. Uh, or I guess it's Marcus, if it's a first name. But... Marcus, Marquez, Mark. We, thank you. And Adam Young. And we thank you, Adam. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, came along the way. We thank all of you for your support. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. I did find the Variety article. Okay. I will honestly state that I'll put Roman Reigns and his portrayal of the Tribal Chief up against anybody right now in how he has approached a reality-based character of the top star of the industry. Okay, I'm not going to do the voice, but... And the fact that he is not recognized by the people that are there to reward such performances with an award, to me, is disconcerting. Very, very <laughs> haven. They're not even going to have slammies anymore, so... Uh... You can't even win that. Oh, just, I won't give away which, but also, um, we realize that Paul resembles a certain, uh, famous Simpsons scene, but <laughs> that'll be on yeah. too as well. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, what's caught your eye on IWTV this week? Well, before we get to live streams coming up, some stuff showed up in the VOD that's Kind of a interesting blast from the past. Five entries because, you know, same ownership as ICW No Holds Barred of the old uh, Wrestling Universe shoot interviews. Okay. You remember these? Vaguely. They would be done in Jack Sabbath's store. I'm not sure who was necessarily doing the interviews in all of these, but they put up shoot interviews, and these are all from like very late 90s or very early 2000s with Jerry Lynn, Iron Sheik, D'Lo Brown. Gangrel and Luna Vachon together, and AJ Styles. Which, hmm. I don't know, I always find it kind of neat when a promotion or promoter or whoever puts stuff on IWTV or a service like that that isn't their usual, but that they happen to also own. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of fun to see there. I don't know how many they have. They did a bunch, though. 
So guessing more will go up soon. Um, these are all labeled as being the first week of January 2013 for some reason, which is not when they took place. But who knows why those are the dates on here. So uh, as far as live streaming coming up this week, a uh, few things I'll mention real quick. Won't go through full shows or anything, but Demand Lucha has a show on Thursday at 8 Eastern. It includes a friend of the show, Joey Janela, taking on Gringo Loco in the main event. Uh, on a show that also includes on, on the undercard, among other interesting matches, Manders versus Arrow Boy. In an yeah, interesting style different. there. Yeah. So I'm I'm only mentioning this because there's what I think is a typo. There's a promotion called Chicago Style Wrestling that's running Friday at 8.30 Eastern. And the main event is Marche Rocket against what the match listing says is Black Christian. Uh, yeah, probably Black Christian. Yes. So That's what I would think. Perhaps Dylan was... Too much to remember Blake's name, but I don't know. I hear it can be very <laughs> destructive to announce like that. Just look at what happened to Vince. Yeah, I mean uh, cognitively, not <laughs> not the other stuff. Yes, uh, Prestige is running on Friday as well at ten Eastern uh, for a show headlined by Alex Shelley defending their title against Sonico and. Uh, also got Adam Brooks versus uh, Kizzy from Dragon Gate and more. So they always put on fun shows, prestige. And finally, on uh, Saturday at 8 Eastern, H2O presents the f first, the maybe annual, I don't know, Tremont's Angels of Death match tournament, women's death match tournament. Well, not surprised that that would be... Uh... A thing? <laughs> oh, you mean take the two things that make the most money in terms of people paying to watch res indie wrestling online and combine them? Yes. I mean, why not? If they're willing to do it, have some of that. And it's been done before. There's been women's deathmatch things. Yeah, I mean, IWA women's deathmatch. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Interesting some of the names in it, though, especially considering where they're working. Like Kylan King is in the tournament. Because she's probably the biggest yeah. name. Um but yeah, and some non-deathmatch and some non-tournament stuff on the show as well. So should be interesting to see how that turns out. So yeah, that's all on IWTV. If you haven't already signed up, uh, if you subscribe, please use code BTSPOD. We'll get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. This week's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up Private Internet Access right, Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? 
Because we offer three different packages for you. We offer a regular monthly package of eleven ninety five a month. We have a yearly package, which equals up to three dollars thirty three cents a month, or thirty nine ninety five a year. Or we have the best package of all: three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety eight a month, eighty three percent off, seventy nine dollars for three years. What a bargain! Why is that? Because there's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of their 30 day risk free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn for a full refund. So, how you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash twin sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 2003, 20 years now, and uh, which is insane to think about. And we'll have uh, World Wrestling Entertainment as they have a uh, go-home set of TV shows for, well, it's brand split, so go-home Raw for the February pay-per-view in Montreal. More things change, the more they stay the same. So we'll have news on that and all kinds of other WWE news, including the debut of Nathan Jones on SmackDown and some other things going on there. Interesting segments that I like, so there'll be quite a few clips, I'm sure. And then we'll have the indie scene to talk about. Lots of interesting shows going on there, including AJ Styles having his own weekend, IW Men's South, Sandman having issues, Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission. So we'll have that. We got TNA. We'll be talking about them as they have Impact, or not Impact that time, their regular pay-per-view, and all the other drama they got going on there. MMA is pro wrestling. We'll have uh, ESPN talking about that. What's the difference is there? We got Japan, U Style making their debut, all kinds of indie shows. New Japan running the big show during our week. So we have uh, all kinds of news there. Dream Stage Entertainment, lots of uh, questions about their future. So we'll have talk on that. We got Kurt Henning, it's Memorial Service. We'll have news from that. And we got the news on the end of Portland Wrestling, the revival of Portland Wrestling. And since we're talking about that, we have a guest specific for that, basically, as we will be rejoined by our dear friend Dan Makabe next week on part of the show, not the whole show, of Between the Sheets. So uh, should be a fun deal there. So everybody go check that out. Yes, Daniel Makabe, who uh, just had his first match in months. Uh as we're recording this. Yeah. In uh, the Pacific Northwest. So there you go. Yes. All right. So that's next week on between the sheets. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L N E R show proper at B T sheets pod Bix at David Bix and Bix what's going on in your world this week. Yeah, nothing too notable, at least in terms of what I was writing. Although I did uh, get to write about also a uh, Brett, Far suing uh, Pat McAfee. Brett, who? What, 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 what? Say that again, Vix. Uh, far. <laughs> Brett Far. <laughs> Brett Far. <laughs> well, at least you didn't make the mistake that uh, Don Weiss, who was one of the NFL bigwigs, who was the uh, guy that announced these second round draft picks in the early nineties when the Falcons took him in the draft, he announced him as Brett favor. So, which got Chris Berman 
to immediately say, well, the Falcons got a favor by selecting Brett Favre. So uh, there you go. So at least you were close to saying his name correctly. But yes, Brett Favre is uh, wanting to go do legal battle with Pat McAfee. That'll be a hoot. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, Brett. Brett's something else. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Su- suing for saying that he <laughs> took money from poor people. Which he, I mean, not he did indirectly, but fairly directly. Well, maybe Ted DiBiase is uh, going to get his lawyer for Brett. So, oh, oh Brett Ted Di- part- go ahead. Because Ted DiBiase's part was part of that too. Yes, well, both of them, <laughs> same state. <laughs> well, both of them, and weren't the only two DiBiases either. Yeah, so um, wasn't the only Brett either. <laughs> Because Brett Diaz, is one of the ones who actually got, you know, convicted of anything, too. Yes. I know. And Favre did pay part of it back, so I I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, Brett Brett Favre is Brett Favre, so. Yes, he is. Anyway. (laughs) But uh, anything else, Bix, or is that uh, what, what you got going on? Uh, okay, let me ask you this, since I don't think we even talked about this off air. What, real quick, uh, what did you make of the whole like Ivy Nile wrestling and reality of wrestling? Brian Alvarez immediately saying WWE was now starting to let NXT wrestlers take indie dates, and then hours later, um, Shawn Michaels saying no, and then Booker <laughs> and Brian's responses to that, all that. Um. From what I've gathered, the whole Ivy Nile thing was a make good because they flew her to the Royal Rumble for her to compete in the Royal Rumble, and then they pulled her at the last minute. I think that was I think that was the Michelle McCool spot. Um, I mean, if it's a make good, that's that's fine. I mean, good, and supposedly she had a, she she was able to have a good match. Me personally, uh, I it's think a make that good they, that she specifically wanted to work with Promise Braxton. Well, just make a make good to work on an independent show, I guess, or yes. you know, do something like that. And you know what? They they should. I mean, they should let some of these people that's only been performance center people and not really had any much of any experience go out and do some indie shows, you know, and get the feel of doing something like that. I mean, pick, pick your Indies you work with, which bookers is a good one since he's, you know, in the family and, uh, let them get some work in, you know, in a different type of environment. They need it. You know, I mean, it, it would help them out. I know you run the risk of them getting injured. I mean, I know that's a thing, but at least, you know, give them an opportunity to get out there and do something. You know, I, I thought for years, you know, going back into the early 2000s when they had their OVW deal, I always thought they should have hooked up with one of the Japanese promotions and sent those those talents over there on tours to 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 get some you know get some because you're not it's not you know it's a it's a different environment you know you're not competing against any different other promotion you know I mean why not so yeah they do. They, they they need to get they need to do more of that, but that's what that's what that deal was, from what I understand completely. So, um, 
I, I mean, it should happen. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Sean didn't want that cow of the bag <laughs> that they're going to do that. I don't know. So, mm. well, Brian, Brian apparently is claiming, and they posted a clip of this on Twitter from Observer. Oh no, this was from Brian and Vinny show that he was sent a press release from Reality of Wrestling that led to all this okay i haven't actually heard this now i'm curious he goes the thing is you try to do something good and immediately we posted that ivy nile was going to be coming to reality of wrestling we were going to be giving the wrestling world the independent wrestling world a match you can't see anywhere else and then immediately after we post that story start popping up on the internet pretty much saying reality of wrestling in quote- what booker said first. so he's so he's accusing me of outright lying about reality of wrestling partnering with wwe so anyway can I read the press release from Reality of Wrestling? I, I can't stop you. Okay, this is the uh, this is Booker's promotion, Reality of Wrestling. Yes. Okay, this is this is what they said. Reality of Wrestling is taking the roster to the next level. We are proud to announce that Reality of Wrestling will be working with WWE NXT to bring our fans incredible matchups that they can't. Isn't that exactly what he said? Apparently working with and partnering with are not the same thing. Dude, that's from his promotion. Reality of (laughs) Wrestling will be working with WWE NXT to bring our fans incredible matchups. That's plural, not singular, that they can't see anywhere else. Why is he angry at me? His own promotion said that. (laughs) <laughs> Not to mention, right, let's hear that. I was told from WWE, someone in WWE, everything that I that I talked about there. So, okay, so a few things there. <laughs> Notice Brian at the end realizing that when he he needed to say someone in WWE instead of from WWE to make it clear that he didn't get this from a PR person. Um, but. <laughs> Brian's mistake was not just simply being like, hey, here's the press release in the first place and extrapolating from it and also not really making it clear whether or not he was drawing inferences or going based on what someone had told him. Because Booker actually says in that clip, if you are going based on what a source told you, whatever, but he, he his feeling was that he didn't think Brian had done anything other than draw a conclusion because otherwise, why didn't you reach out to him? Yeah. I don't think Booker should be pissed, but Brian Brian should not have tweeted what he did the way he did without explaining where he was getting it from. Yeah. I think that's fair. But anyway, drama, drama, uh, drama, drama. Well, that's wrestling. Yeah. Well, enough of that. Let's uh, get back to the rest of the show, shall we? Yes. All right, let's go to the U.S. Indie scene now. We start with Extreme Championship Wrestling. Or, excuse me, Eastern Championship Wrestling. I've got my uh, timeline confused. They're still February 94. So they're not extreme yet. Well, wait a second, though. I forget. When do they start being NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling? Oh, they're already that now. Okay, so it's NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yeah. But anyway, ECW is not on Channel America every Tuesday night with a show one week behind the show. There's a Philadelphia Cable. USWA show that formerly aired on Tuesday nights has been moved to Fridays. And that's a typo. Dave meant to type now. <laughs> yes. 
ECW is now on Channel America every Tuesday night with a show one week behind the show that airs on Philadelphia Cable. The uh, USWA show that formerly aired on Tuesday nights has been moved to Friday. So it replaced the USWA in that show in that slot, and USWA syndication got moved to Fridays. Um, I know some of the 94, or like early 94 ECW TV I used to have was from Channel America. I think that's the stuff that a certain tape dealer in Western Pennsylvania had. Probably. Well, yeah. Uh, I always hated when you I would hear about stuff like this that I didn't have Channel America or America One or whatever with all the wrestling. That's show. where I got mine, mine from. Because <laughs> your brother had the big dish, though. He had the big dish, yeah. Because he had, um, like I said before, he, he recorded uh, ECW, that Deep South in Mississippi, the Smokey, and the uh, USWA. Yeah. One aired different nights a week. You know, there may have been another wrestling, but he never recorded it. But I think it was five nights a week of wrestling. Yeah. And then, you so, know, America One would take up the mantle with what would eventually turn into the Saturday night lineup. Yeah. Which, I mean, that was a all-night wrestling lineup into, what, 2001, I guess? And then it started yeah. kind of shrinking from there. Because there was one point where it was like, in 2000, it was like, ECW, WWF Metal, Wildside, Memphis Championship Wrestling, XPW, maybe one more. Oh, Slams and Jams, too. So yeah, it was like a six-hour wrestling block in 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Channel America closed in 96. And I guess that's when America won, really. I don't want to say takes off because it's America won. But... Yeah. All right, well, used to be television aired during our week, uh, focused on the night the line was crossed, which took place on February the 4th. And um, Wade Keller gave a rundown of the TV show, and he had this to say about Terry Funk. The Terry Funk Shane Douglas promo with Funk crying, Douglas swearing, and the two eventually brawl, and it'll be one of the more talked about promos of the year. ECW Booker Paul Heyman talks about the promo. It shows what a remarkable personality Terry Funk is. What a master of his trade he is, how he has turned what he has done into an art form. It also shows me Shane Douglas is a franchise. If I sound like I'm a mark for Douglas, well, that's good because I am. And then Wade says, everyone knows what Terry Funk did behind the mic. His re- reputation perceives himself, but his promo on the show took the art of the promo a step further. His outright crying monologue seemed heartfelt and genuine. Keys to fans caring about what you're saying, as opposed to a character interview like style like Sting's. Add to that, the coming out party for Shane Douglas took another step towards proving he is a tier one heel behind the microphone. His performance was unprecedented in the last year. See it if you can. Well, you guys won't be seeing it, but you'll be hearing it. So let's go to that, shall we? Let's listen to Terry Funk at, uh, post the night line was crossed after his uh, big match with Shane at Sabu. Yes, let's see what a remarkable personality Terry Funk is. What a master of his trade he is. We're here immediately following the matchup. In fact, it was a three-way, 60-minute draw in what was the most fantastic, athletically contested uh, heavyweight championship match I've ever seen. Terry Fuck fended off not one, just, but two challengers. Did you just call him Terry Fuck? No, he's Terry Fuck. Okay. Also, we should note this. The alleged press conference is outside of a ballroom. Mm-hmm. They're just in the hallway of the travel lodge or whatever. And, and Terry's crying. 
already. Ain't and talked Lee. yet. Yes. And Shabu and Shane Douglas and, and Terry, if we can just get a few words from you tonight. You know, I want to tell you people something. That, uh... <laughs> I love wrestling. I've loved it all my life, and I'm going to tell you that uh, I'm not real proud of the way that it's evolved in a lot of places in the uh, country. I don't believe that the WCW is worth a damn. I think it ridicules my profession, and I think that we have a bunch of people that don't have any respect for a profession running those organizations and the WWF. The place he's about to go to. I'm not talking <laughs> about the the guys individually, but I'm talking about the way that they have belittled my profession because I think that I'm an athlete and I think that I was out there tonight with a hell of a lot of competitors in that ring that uh, were not even only wrestling, they were they were wrestling with their heart. And I don't particularly like the opponents that I was against, but they damn sure gave the fans their money's worth, and I think that uh, I did too. I think ECW has come a long way. I think that you got guys like that, that have come from, from nowhere. I'm talking about the Sandmans. I'm talking about the other guys. I'm talking about the old-timers. I'm talking about Jimmy Snuka. And we've all seen this organization grow. And I am really proud of it. And I am very proud to be wearing this belt around my waist. And I told you people before, hey, I'm an old man, but I'm making my stand. And I'm making it here with the ECW. And those other people can go to hell. Because we're here, and we're here to stay. And we're going to become an organization that's not producing something for kids. I mean, we're not, we're athletic, and I think that we're a sport. And I know that we've got a lot of guys here that are wrestling their heart off and I'm not trying to take anything from anybody else but I have respect for Shane Douglas and I have respect for Sabu and I have respect for all of the guys that are EC with ECW and I want to thank you people out there for being hardcore fans and that's what we're playing to is a hardcore fans and I want you to know that I love you and thank you very much for supporting me and I really appreciate it I got a couple words for the promo is amazing promo for for the emotion everything like that but he he works with W seventy three months after this <laughs> you know I mean it's kind of like one of those things where once you know that and watching that in hindsight I'm sure at that time he probably felt that way. <laughs> but knowing what you know, like, oh man, you know, and yeah. then, and then, and then, 
I mean, that's just for the Slamboree match. Then he goes to work on a regular basis with WCW after Hogan shows up. Yes. <laughs> of all things. So, it kind of like, like, oh man, you know? <laughs> In a way. Yes. But still, that is an amazing promo from Terry. It absolutely is, yes. And honestly, that and the angle we're about to have, I feel like these days... I feel like the promo and the angle are more the legacy of that night line the was cross show than the main event match itself is. I feel like people are kind of over the match. Well, yeah. Yeah, because, and that's the way, well, that's wrestling. I mean, more often than not, you know, memorable matches, I mean, some will always be memorable matches, but, you know, Angles stand the test of time, you know, and resonate. Well, and also, as like smoke and mirrors ECW matches go, it gets outdone, you know, over the next few years. Of course. course. You know, Pitbull's Raven and Richards is a much better version, bell to bell, of the ECW tons of interference, multiple programs converging match. Yeah. All right, so um, now let's go to Shane Douglas, who is uh, about to give one of the promos of his life at this point in time here. So let's uh, go to an upset franchise. With, of course, his manager, Sensational Sherry. Yes. Although here she's just Sherry Martell. She's not even Sensational Sherry. Mm-hmm. Which, one of the rare times later in her career where it looks like she's not wearing a wig, too. Yes. I guess in WCW, maybe she wasn't. At least when she was Sister Sherry. With Flair, I think she was doing that. Yeah, with Flair she was. Anyway. Tonight, I took the living legend so-called self-proclaimed Terry Funk. And I beat his ass right in the center of the ring. I took Sabu, the crazy man of wrestling, and I beat his ass in the center of the ring. I sent them both back to the dressing room, Mr. Gordon. As a result of that, I want you to declare me right now in front of this TV camera, in front of the entire world, as the ECW heavyweight champion to prove that I am the franchise. Sherry saw it. The whole world saw it. Philadelphia, you witnessed it live. Professional wrestling as it was meant to be. Ass-kicking. Take no names. Beat the hell out of whoever's in front of you. Terry Funk, I smashed your knee to obliterate. When I took you in that chair outside the ring, even the crazy man Sabu and his people looked and they said, oh my God, it's the end of an era. Finally, put to rest the Funk family. I don't give a You keep your mouth shut. You keep your mouth shut. You can fire me if you want to. You can take me out of this territory if you want to. But you can't stop the franchise. Someplace, sometime, I will be heavyweight champion. Now, as it goes for you, Mr. Styles, and anybody else, and all you other sons of sitting out here today, I've had it up to here. I've come to Philadelphia, and I've watched pieces of in the audience hold up signs and call me every name in the book. I've seen people outside the arena call me names, say things about my family, say things about Sherry. I've seen people, and what do you want? And what do you want? Stay your What's wrong with you? Are you some kind of a fool or what? Am I some kind of a fool? What are you out here? All I've got to ask you, Mr. Funk... What you were 10 years ago was a legend. 
What you are today is an old man, a shell of yourself. The legs, <laughs> after tonight, certainly aren't what they used to be. Muhammad Ali knows what it's like when the legs go. Look at your face. Take a look in the mirror around you. Ask the media, how's his face look? You've been beat to a pulp. Now I've been beat up tonight. Take a look, Philadelphia. Look at his face. Look at my face. Look who's standing tall. Terry Funk, you were a beaten man tonight. I sit there and listen to you call me an old man. I've listened to you ridicule, ridicule me, and yeah, maybe I've had better days. Damn right. But I don't think that you have any right to go ahead and say that. I came in here, I paid compliments to you. I paid compliments to Sabu. I paid compliments to everybody because I think that you're a good athlete and a heck of a guy. The best. But you didn't walk out of there with this thing around your waist, and you know you didn't. Terry Funk, let me tell you something. And you ought to know this after 25 years in this old sport. Man, don't call me an old man. You, I give you your time. You let me talk. As the franchise of ECW, I've got every right to come out here and say what I want to say. Paying compliments to Shane Douglas, paying compliments to Sabu, don't pay the bills. The gold pays the bills. Now I want Todd Gordon right here and now to declare me the champion because you were dragged out. You were carried out of the arena tonight by your own men. That's not a champion to me. Sabu was carried out by his own men. Both of you at the hands of the franchise. To me, that means that I'm the heavyweight champion. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, Mr. Funk. You want this belt so bad? I said earlier that I've drawn a line. I'll tell you something. You made a mistake put your finger by calling face. me an old man. I won't put my finger in your face. I have no intention of doing that. But your biggest mistake was whenever you called me an old man because, first of all, what is it going to look like whenever this old man <laughs> whips your butt? And as far as this belt is concerned, you can have this belt. I'm giving it to you. I'm Give giving it, it to you. Giving it to yeah, me. It. Terry Funk. I'm giving it to you. I am Give, giving you the... Giving me the belt? No, isn't that silly? That is so silly. No, no, Todd, be quiet, because that's, that's silly. And I know that... I, I'm, I'm sorry that wasn't very respectful to you, but I'm telling you... You take that belt. And you know why you can take that belt? Because <laughs> it's going to be the biggest thrill to me on the fifth. Whenever I, whenever I take the thing back from you, that's what's going to give me the biggest elation. Because I'm going to show you that this old man is not as easy to push around as you think he is, as you should have found out tonight. Terry Funk. Don't put my you. finger on your chest. I understand it. I won't you don't have to you. give me any belt, Terry Funk. I won't touch you with my you finger. You don't have to chest. give me a belt, you old piece of Gentlemen, please. Hey, come on. Gentlemen. You don't have to give me the belt, because I'm taking the belt. How's that, huh? Oh, come on. How's that, you yeah. son of a Huh? Gentlemen, please permit me. Oh, What's the matter with you guys? What's the matter with you guys? Get some security in here. Get some damn security in here. A lot of bad hair involved in that fall apart. I tell you that. Good God Almighty. Um, tell you what, <laughs> Shane Douglas, what a fucking promo that was. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> that goes to show you, folks, that when he was on top of his game, he was, in this era, he was as good as it got as far as, you know, being a performer. And it's a shame that he doesn't get remembered for that because, of, you know, basically the, you know, the triple threat Shane Douglas of the late 90s and you know, the rest of his career after that. But this guy right here, man, he is just, he's something else. The ha-ha killed him. I'm exaggerating, but still, it's like he... Well, the playing into the shtick. Yes. You know? He's not, he's, you listen to how he's, ta- how he's talking here. He's very forthcoming, blunt, you know, He's just right there. He's not he's not playing a heel. No, he comes off like a real person who's an asshole. Yes. Or he's just he, he, he's not, it's, I wouldn't even really say that. It's just somebody that he believes in what he's saying. Yes. And he that's what he thinks. And he knows he's right. He's t- he comes up as somebody that's tired of the shit, you know, and you know his backstory and you know his career before then. I mean, this is this is somebody with a chip on their shoulder that's ready to just break through. Yes, and that's what he was, and that's what he was. And Funk is a tremendous foil for all this. Yes, and I love the little thing of. I'm guessing this was Terry's idea, turning the whole first lesson of cutting promos: don't call your opponent an old man, etc. I love the idea that Douglas says it and then Funk points it out. Well, that's not the first time he's done that. Right. Remember, um, you remember WCW in 2000 when uh, the whole, he's facing the NWO. See, but that's not the last time he's done that then because you just jumped ahead. Yeah, but he's. I know, but I'm saying, no, I said, remember that time he did that? No, 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 I'm saying, this is a theme for Funk. He, I mean, you could tell in that promo that when, um, I forget which one the NWA members called him, maybe Nash, called, or, or Scott Hall, one of them called him an old man, he legitimately got pissed. Yes. You can see in his face, and the way he started talking. They took that shit seriously. Is that, he that, oh, like is that, called old man. is that the the thing Meltzer's talked about where Nash went against what he and Terry went over so he could claim that he got the better of Terry on a promo? Yes. Okay. Because yeah, he called him an old man. Old man, which led to, that was the one that led to the hardcore match, which is the one, I mean, that, no, that's the one that they led to the Bret Hart thing. Yeah. The Bret-Terry match. Yes. So... The yeah, one that was basically like, the not... next to last match of Brett's career. Yeah, yeah, he did not like being called old. <laughs> no. So, so, and and there are guys that that like that and were like that back then and like that now. They when they age, they don't want to be called out for their aging. You know. Yeah. Also speaking, it's the machismo thing. Seeing of that, like with hindsight, you think about how Shane looks here how he looks as Dean Douglas, and then also try to think about when he just starts breaking down. I don't know if he got on steroids and was not on steroids or what, but either way, I gotta think all that size he puts on in 96 was a detriment. Oh, absolutely. He got too big. Yeah. Way too big. And it 
right after that is when he starts breaking down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a shame. Take, take heed, wrestlers. That's that, that, or, you know, take a steroids. I mean, yeah, you get you get the feet, you know, that, that look, but it really can affect your body in a bad way. In many ways. <laughs> yeah. So... Anyway, awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So go check that out on the network or other ways you can find mid-90s ECW. Yes, including places where you can find it with the original music and the stuff that's not on, other stuff that's not on the network. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now let's go to another show in Pennsylvania, the Triple WA. They ran in Dubois, Pennsylvania. It could be Du Bois. It is Pennsylvania, so it could go both ways. On February 13th, as we have Bobby Piper... Uh, over Miss, Mr. Motion. Ace Darling over Duke Debonair. I like that name. <laughs> that sounds like Duke the name Debonair. someone would give MJF if he came around in like 1994. <laughs> Duke Debonair. No, Duke Debonair is definitely um, um, a repackaged like Jungle Boy. Take oh, like when he joins and... the York Foundation? You can take him out the jungle and uh, straighten his hair out or stuff like that. And yeah. Uh-huh. The man rushing over Rick Martin. Jack Hammer over Randy Lewis. He man Randy Lewis. Angel. Huh? He man Randy Lewis, right? He man Randy Lewis. Angel. Angel Amoroso, I guess, over Amy Lee. Whose name is Bushwacker. completely butchered the way it's spelled here. It's Amy Lee Murray or whatever full yeah. name is. Bushwhackers over the Diamond Express. So that would be and, uh, Jack. Uh, what's the uh, Diamond Mike's team, right? Yeah. And Nails went double count out with the zombie. Hmm. Quite the show here. Yeah. They they ran for a while. Um, I remember like seeing them in the magazines. That, that was the first place I remember seeing Brutus Beefcake results after his last WWF run. For some reason, that sticks out. Yeah, they were they they were all over uh, magazines and stuff. Out there. All right, MTW Midwest Territorial Wrestling. They ran Jackson, Michigan on February 12th for the 90 fans. As we have Mike Kelly over Mickey Doyle in your opener, Bobby Clancy and Otis Apollo over Steve Nixon and Judge Dredd, Mohamed Saad over Scott Demore, Scott Stevens over Shinobi, Al Snow, Andy Fish over Jake Leduc. Sabu with a double count out with Bobo Brazil Jr. And Chris Carter and Muhammad Saad being Al Snow and Denny Cass. The uh, new Fabulous Kangaroos. Yes. Um, this show is, it's like you have both generations of Midwest, uh, excuse me, well, I should say Michigan indie guys, like colliding here. Mm-hmm. You know? Because you'd see some of them, like Mickey Doyle and Saad, but, like, not all of them, like, you know, also having Bobo Brazil Jr. and all that. Um, what was I going to say, though? Jake LaDuke. Who's Jake LaDuke? Jake LaDuke. <laughs> Who knows? Because the, the other second-generation LaDukes were legit kids, right? Or they were both um, Paul's kids, right? Because Car- Carl LaDuke is legit Paul's son, right? Yes. Wasn't there another one, though? Another second generation. That's the only one I remember. That's the only one I remember. And I forget, are Paul were Paul and Joe's legit brothers or no? Uh 
that I don't know. Because Paula Duke left wrestling way early. Right, because Paula uh, Duke, Paula Duke never K-Fabe, worked. Kayfabe, brother. Yeah, Paula Duke never brother. worked in the South with Joe's, or only in Canada, I think. Yeah, he did. Oh, he did. He, okay. They were. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Jean yeah, Louis were, was more of a replacement for Paula Duke then. Yeah, he uh, he went to he was in Joe, with Joe in Florida. Okay. He didn't do Memphis. He was in Joe of Florida. And yes, Jean Louis was in. Uh, I forget who was it. Was that in was, Memphis. Is Jean Louis? Oh, uh, Hangman Jean- Neil Gray. Yeah, the Hangman. Les Bro. In uh, French. Yes. All right, we got some uh, Ohio indie wrestling now. We start with the North Coast Wrestling Alliance. They had a doubleheader in Cleveland on the first night on February 12th for 335 fans. We have Gino Caruso oh, over Johnny Rods. What a show this is. Cousin Luke over Damian Stone. We know. Wahoo McDaniel over the Stormtrooper. Well, it says German Stormtrooper. I'm presuming well, this is the uh, East Tennessee guy, though. Yeah. Greg Hammer Valentine over the Junkyard Dog. Demolition Axe, Billy of Iron Sheet by disqualification. And Junkyard Dog won a Battle Royal. And they ran the Akron, next night. And they ran Akron the next night with the same exact everything for yeah. 250. Okay. So, what do we think is our Northeast hookup here? Like, who who is promoting these shows that is working with Gino or... Um, rods to bring in some of the undercard. I don't know, but it gets. I mean, here's another. Here's the thing too. They had there was a another show in Cleveland that February 12th. Cleveland all Cleveland all pro wrestling. JT they ran for three and twenty fans. Yeah, three and twenty fans that night as the American Patriot beat Beast Du Lou Marconi, Tommy Rich, Tommy Wi-Fi Rich over T.C. Reynolds, Pain and Agony over the Young Guns, Ron Cumberlich over Ivan Koloff, and Lou Marconi won the Battle Royal. So, yeah, what an interesting uh, set of shows here in Ohio. Yeah, in, you know, 1994? Consider, you know, I don't know what kind of ground game some of these promotions had. I got to they but in for nineteen ninety four drawing five hundred fifty fans to two different show, over five hundred fifty fans to two different shows in the same city is pretty impressive, all things considered. Well you look at the names on these shows. I mean these are, you know, big names from the previous decade that weren't I mean these are Ohio's not was not a fertile ground at that point in time. So I mean that's pretty good a good you know group of talent. Yeah, and uh we've even got uh, YouTube favorite Ron Cumberlich. Beating Ivan Koloff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, interesting stuff here. I'm curious if uh any of our Ohio people went to any of these shows when they were younger. How old would Dom have been for the Akron show? <laughs> This is uh, 29 years ago now. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, Dom, uh, Dom would have been too young. Dom would have been like three years old. Yeah. So, Thorne would have been old enough. Yeah. Oh, well, may, may, maybe, uh, I don't know how much of a fan Papa Green he is, but he made an appearance at the AIW show over the weekend in uh, Akron. Yeah. So, so maybe he was there. 
wow, that's a uh, quite the group, quite the group there. And now it's time for your favorite. all right. Peach State Wrestling, yes, Ben Masters and Cordell at Kojo's Skating Rink. <laughs> Wait, is this ice skating or a like roller skating? This is like uh, it's roller skating. Like you know, I've been watching a lot of Georgia All Star Wrestling lately from 1991, which I sadly cannot upload to YouTube because uh, they sure love to put their New Japan International matches on those shows. So that's a that's a definite no. But um, uh, they used to run Sparkles. Sparkles ro- roller rinks, which was a, a chain of roller rinks in Georgia, and uh, they would tape shows there. So, you know, there's a lot of indie shows in skating rinks. Jackson, Georgia had a indie show at a skating rink uh, not that long ago. So, uh, there you go. Anyway, Cordell, February 14th, and somebody that is from my town, Wild Bill Smith, beat Luscious Dale Lucas. Now, Wild Bill Smith, <laughs> he's famous. For one night at the Omni, this when the WWF shows, went into the ring, jumped the rail, went into the ring, and pulled down Nikolai Volkov's tights. Oh boy! Yes, <laughs> and ran away. <laughs> so there you go. But he he trained to be a wrestler, became a wrestler, and uh, worked all the local indies around here. And but yeah, here's getting a win over Luscious Dale Lucas. Hmm. Then there's this man, Sugar Ray Lloyd over Jerry the King Lawler. Now, I'm kind of thinking this is a typo because February 14th, Lawler's in Memphis, so this has got to be Steve the Brawler Lawler. Well, no, 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 no. I'm thinking it's Terry Lawler. It could be Terry Lawler, it and that it's be. just a it's typo. Terry or Steve. It's one of the two because Jerry's in Memphis on the 14th. And well, and then Steve so. is in the next match under a mask. So there you go. The Flame, a.k.a. See the Brawl Lawler, beat Cowboy Dennis Gale, who was the guy who was promoting WrestleMania up until last month. He, he sold it because he's got bad, bad health issues right now, not doing good at all. And um, he's, he's been around forever. Uh, he's on some of that WOW stuff that, uh, that uh, Ben's put on YouTube and on Strong Alley channel. I mean, he's been around a long time, but... Uh, Great guy. I hate to see, hate to hear that Mr. Dennis is going through what he's going through right now. But uh, yeah, here he is here losing to the Flames, Steve Lawler. Then we got Scott Armstrong and Mad Jack subbing for Steve Armstrong over the Blazers, R.D. Swain and Sugar Ray Lloyd to win the USA Tag Titles. And then our main event: Jake the Snake Roberts and Wildfire Tommy Rich beat Golden Boy Mike Golden and the Perfect One Paul Golden. Oh, so Tommy had a full weekend here. Oh well, no, he what was in Cleveland. Well, no, wait, excuse me, Cleveland was. He- the 12. Was, yeah, all pro. He didn't work the double shot. Yeah. yeah. Paul Golden, I'm not sure on that one. But who that, uh, who okay. that, who that was, yeah. Okay, so since those are but, back-to-back matches, do you think it's more likely that's Terry than Steve? Um, It could either go either way. But I'm thinking of Steve. Because I just feel like that it's back to, but it's back-to-back, though. It might not have been a long match because Lloyd worked later on the show. Of course, Sugar and Lloyd being Glacier. No, but I know. But Lloyd at least had a match break. If it's yeah. Steve Lawler in both matches, he has to get changed right away, too. Uh, and this uh, would be, be before an intermission. It could anything. be Terry. It could be Terry. And was Terry know. still wrestling at that point? Uh, Yeah. Okay. So it's pro- this is probably so it's po- someone it's calling in the results to the torch and saying Terry Lawler and Wade putting Jerry Lawler. Yeah. 
So it's possible. Anyway, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They have a big weekend. Sunday Bloody Sunday is on Sunday, but of course the TV is on Saturday to uh, get everybody ready for that show. And there's a lot of uh, stuff going on there. Let's start off with Terry Funk and the Bullet as they have uh, dueling promos to prepare for their big match coming up. So let's start with Terry Funk and a totally different style of promo here than what we got in the ECW promo. If the world was left up to him, it would be much simpler. For you see, he knows how to handle. Dory's with him just standing there, by the way. <laughs> this era, Dory Jr. with the long hair, I, I, it just was jarring to me watching him. <laughs> it just it, it just didn't work. Do you like the funny hat? <laughs> I mean, I get it with the hair. If he didn't have the hair, then it would look even funnier. And but, it looks um, like they're in front of a blue screen, too. Yeah, but he's wearing a uh, he's wearing a derby and he's wearing a type of a poncho, poncho s deal here. Terry's got his poncho going too, and yeah, but and Terry's hair is all clean, not greasy. He's got a headband on, although mm-hmm. although, but he but, look, he, but he has the headband without the wet back without the wetted back hair though. He you looks like an old hippie. Yes, tough situations that arise in individuals' lives. For instance, if he found a stray cat that he didn't want, he would drown that cat. If he, (laughs) or even I, found a mad dog, we would shoot that dog. If we came across a sick and helpless horse, we would put that horse down. <laughs> and the same holds true when you find a fool that is disrupting your life. Like Bob Armstrong is disrupting Jim Cornette's life. Believe me, Tanya Harding's husband knew how to take care of this situation. <laughs> it's just that he didn't go in there with the right ammunition. He sent a 350-pound bodyguard with a little baton to drop that lady on the legs. Do you realize if that would have been me that they hired, Nancy would never, ever, ever do a triple axle in the Olympics. Nancy would never, never, ever do a figure eight nor a figure seven, six, five, or four. Possibly, <laughs> she couldn't even do a figure one. And believe me, a one-legged monkey can dance that well. So what have you got to say about this, Armstrong? You had oh better God. think seriously what we are planning. We are planning it through Cornet. And what we are going to do is we are going to eliminate you from wrestling because of the Texas death match rules. Tell them, Junior. Terry, a lot of these people might not know me, and a lot of these people might know me, but Bob Armstrong remembers me from a long time ago, and I'm coming to Knoxville. And when you step in that ring with my brother in a Texas death match, remember this. Falls don't count. No stopping the match because of blood. The match continues. 
until one man is, una is, is left standing in the middle of the ring. My brother, Terry Funk here, king of the Texas death matches. He's the best. Armstrong, oh, you're was. going down, and I'm going to be there to watch it. Down, Armstrong, you and your illegitimate crew. <laughs> Fans, there you see it's Sunday, Bloody Sunday coming up. We've had a little disturbance here in the studio. Right. Okay. You know, for a fat dude, that Jim Cornette can run like a jackrabbit. Now, there's two sides. <laughs> we should note, by the way, this is the bullet cutting a promo. Yes. Not, not Bob. Yes, he's wearing the mask over his uh, commissioner's outfit. Yes. He's wearing the <laughs> trademark Commissioner Bob, like, purple and blue check shirt. <laughs> But, the... God is he even suspended at this point? Why is he the bloody? Yes. He's suspended. <laughs> I, know. I know. I know. Even by bullet standards, this is a lot. <laughs> I know. Every story, we've heard his side. He's all Oh, you know how you how you know it's not a Commissioner Bob under the mask? No clip on tie. <laughs> there you go. Somebody's making a big deal about I've never beat Terry Funk. Well, if you'll take a look at some film, you'll understand why I never beat Terry Funk. I never really got the chances. This film is going to show you right now. Get Armstrong, hold on to that sleeper. Funk Pause. is down on. But that's Bob. That's Bob. Slug you on wrestling, everybody. I also liked Dory going through the trademark Texas Deathmatch spiel, remembering that part of it had the word unable in it, and then yes. forgetting what unable was supposed to be. Because <laughs> clearly he was supposed to say unable to answer a count of ten. But he, he was too busy was... Uh, spinning his fingers on Nancy Kerrigan doing a triple axel. Well, you see, it's very difficult to be Dory Funk Jr. and just stare off into middle distance all day. <laughs> and, uh, he's probably Here comes Dr. Tom Pritchard. Bob Armstrong broke the sleeper hold. Who's our announcer here? Scott Armstrong Ken and Ramey. Tom Pritchard going at it outside. Of Wait, Dr. Ken Ramey? Uh, Phil Rainey, excuse me. Phil Rainey. Oh, okay. I don't know. I said Ken Rainey. Phil Rainey. Yeah, Phil, Phil Rainey. Yeah, you said Ken Rainey. <laughs> I know. I was good. I got him mixed up. I yeah, it's Phil Rainey. Phil Rainey did Smokey. Yeah, he did it off and on for two years. The which, Knoxville stuff he would be involved in more than anything else. Which Knoxville stuff had he done previously? Southeastern. Which were okay. yeah, he was Southeastern. Okay. Uh, the both versions Fuller and Barnett. Okay. And didn't he also? He was a did, local he legend. The, he also did the Barnett. Um, he also did the other Barnett stuff too, right? That aired in Knoxville. Oh, what's that stuff? No, was that he did not do superstars. No, 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 no. no. The, the stuff we have from that one guy in Knoxville, um, with like Sullivan and Kern, and uh, who is that? Was oh, that he, a... yeah, I think he was. I, I, I think you, I think he was part of that. Yes, but I forget, but that wasn't from that wasn't a make. That wasn't Barnett, Memphis, though. Right? So what was that? No, that was Barnett Southeastern. No, but it wasn't that was southeastern because it didn't look like southeastern. It was with the Georgia you're crew. You're confusing me. Is what the thing I'm talking about? Which Georgia crew though? Talk, tell me, wrestlers. 
like Sullivan. Sullivan I remember like a Sullivan and maybe a Curran, but it was not. The, it was the Georgia crew at the time. It was not the Southeast crew. That wasn't Knoxville. You're thinking that Columbus wrestling. Okay, Carlisle. that's what it was. It was Columbus that aired in Knoxville. Okay, so it who's aired the in Knoxville? On that? Yes, Jim Carlisle. Okay, thank you. I get my deep, my deep voiced local wrestling announcers of this era confused. <laughs> yeah, Jim Carlisle. He, he was a legend. A legend around here as far as uh, wrestling announcers. And he sends Funk down. Little red on uh, Funk's forehead. Two count. Two count. Funk raised up. Tom Pritchard. And look here. Here comes one of the Bruise Brothers. Armstrong's going to take care of him. Bruise Brothers. Here comes oh, Ricky Morton's in the action now. Ricky Morton and one of the Bruise Brothers, Scott Armstrong and Dr. Tom Pritchard. But in the ring, we've got Terry Funk and Bob Armstrong. And all heck is broken out here in the Knoxville Coliseum as Terry Funk it's taking plenty of punishment. There goes Dr. Tom Pritchard's head into the ring post. And Funk is down on his back. Bob Armstrong goes to the cover, too. Uh-oh, there's Jim Cornette interfering. Okay, that was terrible. Cornette did not pull Mark Curtis out of the ring. He just kind of yanked yeah. on his leg and he stopped the count for no apparent reason. <laughs> Jimmy Del Rey and Brian Armstrong into it now. We've got the Armstrongs involved with the heavenly bodies and Terry Funk and Bob Armstrong inside the ring and across the way, one of the Bruise Brothers and Ricky Morton. Well, we've, we're bound to see it. Here comes the Bruise Brothers number two and Bob Armstrong catches him. Meanwhile, Terry Funk is getting on his feet as Scott Armstrong and Dr. Tom Pritchard battle on the floor. Terry Funk missed uh, Bob Armstrong and caught one of the Bruise Brothers. And once again, Terry Funk is on his back. Brian and Jimmy Del Rey, Scott Pritchard, and Scott what? Armstrong Scott going at it. And across the way, the Steiners are double teaming. Cornet got the boot. And the Steiners are all two. Armstrong and caught Terry Funk. Now Bob Armstrong has the collar neck protector and jerks it off of Jim Cornette. He jerked off Jim Cornette. Bob Armstrong going right back to work on no Cornette, comments. but he's got away. Here comes that branding iron. Terry Funk has it between his legs. Here it comes. Looky here. And he catches Bob Armstrong on the back of the neck with that branding well, iron and drops it outside and rolls over on Bob Armstrong as the referee counts one, two, did we get a three count? The winner, Terry Funk, it looks like. Let's see. Terry Funk was helped out. Bullet, it seems like every time you turn around, I don't there's enough going on there. <laughs> not nearly enough going on there. Not, not, I mean. And Cornette talks about Russo and all that. I mean, look at all, look at all the overbooking that was going on in that finish. Yes. All right, back to uh, back to Dick. Brian Matthews here. Yes. Against you. That's exactly right. You know, and I've been in some important matches in my career, but today, Sunday Bloody Sunday is the most important match in my career. 
If I don't beat Terry Funk in this Texas death match, which he's never lost one, not only do I have to unmask, Bob Armstrong will never be the commissioner of Smoky Mountain, and I won't get to attend the Armstrong family reunion in Marietta, Georgia. So it's all stacked. But I'll tell you this, Cornette. When the cards have all been dealt, who knows what will happen? I may come up aces, and you may be the joker of the bunch. And as far as kissing your feet, I'd rather kiss a rat's fanny over a hot fire than kiss your feet anywhere in the world, especially in front of my friends in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I've got my mind right. I've got my head right. And as far as never losing a Texas death match, you know, there's always a first time for everything. And I've never give up yet, and I'm not, I'm not giving up hope. You people have supported me more than a man could ever expect. And today is the most important match for all of us. Together we can do it. And I'll tell you this, Mr. Funk, you may be T for Texas, but I'm T for Tennessee. And when it's over today, brother, after you and me, we'll finally decide if I'm really bad to the bone. Fans, it's Sunday Bloody Sunday at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. Coming up, we'll talk about the Dirty White Girl and Tammy Fitch. Now you can have the right. bluegrass brawl. Smoky Mountain Wrestling's wildest event. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> that's your phone promo somewhere. <laughs> Wait, so is the bullet supposed to be a relative of the Armstrongs in some way? I thought he was a family friend. That was the whole thing. But he wants to go to the family reunion, and he won't be able to for some reason if he loses. <laughs> well, at, at this point, I mean, the fans, they all, I mean. They always yeah, knew. They always <laughs> knew, but I mean. Now but there's it's just no like, winking and nudging going on here. Yes, none, period. That, yeah, that, that whole thing is past gone, which I think that doing this whole bullet revival deal was another thing that was starting the downward spiral of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Because they weren't living up to the gimmick. Or to the stipulation. And they were go and they've gone down that well. I mean, we're going back to the bullet again, you know? Yeah. How many times have we seen this? So yeah. Alright, well, let's move on to our next uh issue here. The uh, situation with the dirty white girl, dirty white boy, primetime Brian Lee, Tammy Fitch, Ron Wright. Well, Mr. Ron Wright has uh, has, uh, gotten free from the uh, control of one Tammy Fitch, and he's upset over what's been going on lately. So let's go to Mr. Ron Wright at his home in North Carolina, as he has a, a few things to say here. And just as a reminder to everyone, the storyline was basically that uh, Tammy had been drugging Ron Wright and trying to steal money from him. When he put in his will. Yeah. He's trying to put in his will. Wright made from his home in beautiful East Tennessee. Let me tell you people something. I've never been so mad, disgusted in my life as what's went on here in the last few weeks since I've been in the hospital having hip implants surgery. But let me tell you something, prime time. You finally made the mistake of your life with your manager, the little Miss Prissy Know-It-All Miss Fitch. You made the terrible mistake of putting your name on the dotted line to get in the ring with the dirty white boy in one of these Tennessee bloody chain matches. Let me tell you, I'm the master of them. I invented them, and I beat every man from 
from A to Z in these things. Come February the 13th in Knoxville, Tennessee, prime time, I've got your name stamped on this oak walking cane, son. When I get done with you, I'm going to get the last lick with this after the dirty white boys done got you beat half to death, laying in the ring unconscious. When they bring you out on stretchers, I'm going to wrap this walking stick around your head like nothing's never been wrapped around your head before in your life. And misfits, you'll probably get your head smacked plumb off your shoulder, and I'll lay you on the stretchers with him and laugh when they carry both of you out of there. Fans, don't go away, because when we come back, the latest <laughs> incident leading up to I Sunday Bloody Sunday, Dirty White Girl gets a match with Tammy Fitch. We'll be right back. If you'd like to raise money for... I, 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 I. I think it was interesting also about, um, about this, this whole show is... Uh, <clears throat> Cornette is basically the host of the show. It's yeah. him and Brian Matthews. And he's a new manager. Whenever he'd do this, he'd also he wouldn't be Jim Cornette enough. Or he wouldn't be James E. Cornette enough. It yeah. was it was how do I put this? Because look, if you are in the territory and you are not quote unquote smart to the business, you don't know he's the booker. However, or the owner or whatever you want to say. But like You watch this, you would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, I get it. You're the booker. You want to get everything across, blah, 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 blah. But just find a better way to Which, do it. Yeah. Well, all right. So he turns into James E. Cornette at the end of the show. Yes. So uh, let's go to Cornette as he's running down the whole thing here. And he gets on his match in particular. The, the I'll tell you what I want. bullet match. See, it all comes down to the Texas death match. Everything's riding on it. The Bullet, who everybody knows is Bob Armstrong, and the turbulent Texan himself, Terry Funk. Texas Deathmatch rules, which simply state that the match is going to go until somebody's hurt so bad they can't go on. And Bullet Bob Armstrong, if you lose, then you not only take that mask off and show everybody your face, but you have to leave Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Before you do that... You gotta get down on your hands and your stinking knees, brother, and you've gotta crawl every agonizing, degrading, humiliating step of the way across the ring in that Knoxville Civic Coliseum. Purse your lips up and kiss Jim Cornette's feet. The ultimate humiliation. I know I can beat you black and blue. I can pay any number of people to come in here and drop you on your head and put you in the hospital time after time. And it still won't work. I can't get rid of you that way because you're just too proud. So what do you do to a proud man? You hit him in his pride. You stick that knife in and you tear those guts out. You humiliate him in front of his friends, his fans, and his family. And that's exactly what I'm going to do to you. Because if you have to get down on your hands and knees and kiss my feet in Knoxville, Tennessee, you'll never show your face again. And that's what I'm banking on. And I'm paying Terry Funk a lot of money to see that that happens. Sunday, bloody Sunday, the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. Sunday afternoon, February 13th, today for you people in Knoxville is going to be a day that Bob Armstrong will never forget, but it's going to be a day that he'll regret until the end of time. That's right, Aaron. This shows you here on Sundays in Knoxville. Saturdays everywhere else. Forgot about that. So, yeah. And the show started... Yes, and the show started at 3 p.m. on Sunday, so they were in, what, at 11 o'clock or noon time slot? Yeah. So this is a very hard sell in Knoxville. Yeah. This is very last minute that this is airing. Um, Boy, are his promos in Smokey a lot better when they're limited to two minutes or what? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is true. The longer ones are never bad. It's just they're too much. They're long. Yeah. <laughs> they're just long. Yeah. Well. Never ending. How successful was this hard sell, Chris? Well, they did pretty pretty good. As we go pivot to that now, uh, Swing Out Wrestling smoked its previous records on February 13th with a show at the Nostal City Coliseum until Sunday Bloody Sunday after the U2 song of the same name. And they drew 3,950 fans in a $31,800 gate. Previous records for the two-plus-year-old promotion were set in the same building on August 22nd, 93. Drawing 2780 and $18,200 gate. Six of the seven matches on the car were heavily pushed on television, with a show that aired over the weekend being nothing more than a one-hour review of all the angles and how they were peaking for blow-offs on the show. While the death of the show was a strong factor in setting a record during a weekend of large inclement weather, although Knoxville itself didn't have it as bad as many other cities in that part of the country, from those in attendance, the two main matches that drew were a Texas Death match between the Bullet and Terry Funk and a chain match between Smoky Mountain champion Dirty Wild Boy and Brian Lee. Brian Lee's champion, not White Boy. Um, in the Bullet Funk match, the stipulations were that Bullet lost, he would have to unmask and leave Smoky Mountain forever and crawl across the ring and kiss Jim Cornette's feet. Dorfell and Junior Scoots be in Terry's corner for the match. In the chain match, Dirk White Boy had gone on television, swore to God he would win the title and said Ron Wright, who had been out of Smokey since the angle where Brian Lee all took over on his knee, would walk to the ring. In addition to those matches, the key matches were a cage match with the Moondogs and the Bruise Brothers. Smoking about tag titles with the bodies defending against Rock and Roll Express. Football helmet on the pole match with the bodies against the Furnaces, Doug and Mike, with the Furnaces of the Alabama football jerseys if they lost. Alabama was the main rival of Tennessee. Uh, one of the main rivals. And Tracy Smothers versus Chris Candido, which had been pushed on with a series of television angles. The Smothers Candido match rated two and a half stars, in which Candido won just using a chain, was the only match where Bayface didn't go over in the end. And the opener, rookie Anthony Michaels pinned the Hornet, Brian Keyes, in a one star match. Smothers Candido followed that. Then the Furnaces beat the, then the first rest of the bodies. Turned to a four-woman coordinator trying to climb the pole. Rock and roll showed up, pulled Cornet down. Ricky Morton climbed the pole, got the helmet, threw it the dove, used it on Dr. Tom, who was then pinned. Match got two and a half stars. Because of like the previous matches, Mike Furnace was in, where they literally rehearsed his every move ahead of time. This time, his lack of experience was more obvious as he looked lost in several spots. Yeah, Mike Furnace definitely wasn't his brother, i tell you that, when it came to in-ring action. No, he was not. He tried, but that happens. That happens. Um, Bullet Terry Funk, which based on crowd reaction, had been the one responsible for them drawing the house. It was a wild three and a half start that match going four falls. At one point, Funk gave Bullet a DDT on the ringside table, which broke, and both went through the table to the floor. At another point, Dory came the ringside through Terry to Brandon Iron, which he used to gain a fall. At one point, Funk threw part of a broken table and five chairs to the ring and proceeded to hit the bullet with the head with all six items of furniture. Funk who juice heavily did the first and probably last moose of his career. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Second part of a broken table on top of several chairs, putting Bullet's body on top of the table and going off the top with a Sabu style moonsault. Bullet was actually supposed to move, but didn't move fast enough and was hit with the move and they did a pinfall. Oops. Well, well, later, Bullet DT. So you don't have to kill yeah, you get away. the move or anything. You get away with it there. Yeah, you get away with it. Later, Bullet DDT Funk on the same table for a fall, which proved to be the final fall as Funk fell down to the bell to the fifth fall. 
immediately cornet cracked bullet with a tennis racket and as Dorian Terry held them, they dragged him over the cornet who demanded he kiss his feet. Just as the Funks were about to force bullet to kiss his feet, Smothers, Michaels hit the ring, Funks and Cornet left. Funks and Cornet left. Rock and Rolls and Heavenly Bodies, which followed, was only this one in the show going just four minutes. With a simple corner interference, DQ to set the tide, although the match was hot during the brief tenure, rated star three quarters. Why was there a bodies working twice swing match after the main event? I guess the rock and rolls, no less. Yeah. Huh? They had nothing for the rock and rolls at this time because you got you look, you got Moondogs and the Bruce Brothers, they're feeding with each other. You got Bodies in the furnaces, they're fuming with each other. Rock and Roll Express was the odd team out, so just, you know, have, well, just put me in the bodies. Who Rock and Roll's with bodies? Uh, I think it's Rock and Roll. So you have nothing for your tag team champions who are the top baby No, it's baby the bodies, it's the bodies, it's the bodies, it's the bodies, it's the bodies. So were both matches title matches, or only the no, Rock and Roll? No, just a, yeah, just Rock and Roll match. Okay. And okay, the Rock and Rolls, yeah, they win the titles. They win the titles on the 18th at a Midwest Territorial Wrestling Show, and then they lose yeah. them back the next night at another Midwest Territorial Wrestling Show, and then they finally win them back long term. Well, not long term because they lose it three weeks after that. But the big win is the uh, Bluegrass Brawl, loser leaves town. I mean, Smokey's got thin roster. There's nobody they could have put him with. You know, look, they're opening matches. Anthony Michaels against the Hornet. And Anthony Michaels yeah. is doing one of the big runs in the big match. I mean, after the big match. It's him and Tracy Smothers. Yeah, so they wanted to have him on the show. They could have found I me, mean, maybe found an outside team or something. I don't know, but anyway. Yeah. In the shame match, which actually featured double juice to rate three and three quarter stars. The finish saw both men hit three time buckles. At this one, Tammy Fish tried to spray a white boy. But referee Mark Curtis cut her off, and the hairspray went in the air. At this point, Ron Wright came to the ring, walked the ringside, tapped his cowboy boot three times, the old loaded boot gimmick that Wright used in the old Nostal territory in the 60s and 70s, and kicked Lee in the head, with white boy falling into the fourth corner to get the win in the title. Wright's appearance during the excitement of the finish was the biggest pop on the show. Oh, yeah, because fans wanted to cheer Ron Wright, and, they got, and now they're able to do it. And it was up to the Moondogs and Bruce Brothers finish the show off oh, the so cage that's match. The end someone of the anti- show. Okay. Yeah, the cage. Sort of anticlimactic, but still rated two and three quarter stars and several chairs found their way into the cage. Four way juice, wild post match. After the match, the bodies got in the cage with a four and two in the Bruce Brothers. But the Rock and Rolls came in even the odds. Bob Armstrong, Sands Mass, came out as well as commissioner during the run in. So here you go. Sunday, bloody Sunday, Vix. And this was a re- I mean, really good show. And, uh, a blow off of, of some angles, yes, here. Continuation of others. And this, I think this ends up being the biggest non WWF support or like outside support house the company ever does, right? Was Night of Legends bigger? Night of Legends was bigger, but Night of Legends. Okay, who are the outsiders? Are there any WWF guys on Night of Legends? Well, I mean, you got. Well, the, I mean. Do you want to count the Heavenly Bodies as part of that? Because, I mean, they're on the show. No. Um, Hawks an outsider, but not WWF. Yeah. Um, it's, mainly about the, it's mainly about the Legends. Okay, but 
that's a gimmick show, though. As far as, like, peeking an angle and it drawing, it's this show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Actually, wait, is, wait, right, so is this the one where he's supposed to, where the idea is, is he's putting, no, putting Cornette in the hospital is a different show. The, oh, that was the one in, was that the one that drew in August? Yeah, was that, like that. Okay. All right, um, Terry Funk talked to the torch. Shocking. He says, never done a moonsault before. That was the first one, probably the last one. He said, Funk has already told other promoters not to expect moonsaults from him from now on. Well. <laughs> um, Funk said he didn't plan the moonsault ahead of time. Who the hell knows why I did it? He laughed. Why not? If I knew people would have thought that doing it makes me a great wrestler, I would have done it years ago. <laughs> Spoke him on the official Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis. Says the best well, it doesn't say on, he's on, Mark Curtis. It just calls him Smoky Mountain Wrestling official Brian Hildebrand. Yeah. Says the best Smoky Mountain show put on the, they put on the date. There was so much emotion in the arena, he said. It was the best executed show we've done. Even with the delay setting up the cage, the law lines, you read the box office at bell time. It didn't really hurt the show. Law lines at bell time. That's, that's good. Good walk-up. Mm-hmm. Smoky Mountain employee Casey O'Connor agreed. I have no idea what they're attributed to. He says, top of the bottom is one of our best. Bluegrass Brawl might have been better, but it's close. This show went smooth. There were no problems. Funk comes back. It was a package show. It was very enjoyable for me to watch. Everyone was part of the reason for success. Bob Armstrong is excellent. He's great on the mic. He talks to the people. He's a real professional. He's worthy of emulating. His approach is more successful than all the screamers who dominate the scene. Terry giving Bob his rightful praise here. Mm-hmm. Good. This car saw the culmination of several feuds drawn out over a year and even longer in several cases, which is a sign of the confidence and direction of the booking and the patience and the commitment to follow through, despite second-guessing that it's sure to take place along the way. Although Smoky Mountain's average attendance has held steady or declined, this 40% jump from the previous odds of record increase. Yeah. Jim Cornette is fond of saying he's wearing new sneakers and having to walk through other people's shit. Any success he has is despite the leftovers of other promoters, namely the major two promotions. His public stance has softened a bit since his alliance with WWE, but that notwithstanding, be that as may, nevertheless, this weekend's approved that a quality wrestling product will prevail. Not every wrestling fan who sees the tape of Smoky Mountain Wrestling finds it to be their favorite style, just as some don't particularly care for Japanese women's wrestling. FMW or WWF, but one thing no one argues with is that Smoky Mountain Wrestling follows a sensible storyline has long-term booking plans, puts in a good faith effort to have the best possible matches virtually all the time, and is about to succeed not at the expense of the wrestling business. It is those qualities that have made Smoky Mountain Wrestling so popular. The culmination of many months of a feud between Jim Cornette and Bob Armstrong paid off, as did a well-built feud between Dirty White Boy and Brian Lee, and a faithful standby Heavenly Bodies Rock and Roll Express bout. Smoky Mountain Wrestling promoter and booker Jim Cornette stuck with a direction that appears to be paying off. The fans have learned that Smoky Mountain delivers at every possible opportunity. They don't try and hustle a few dollars out of you for false information or a bogus poll on a 900 line. They don't give you a glitzy TV show and deliver nothing in the arena when you've already paid for your tickets. They don't drop storylines in mid-course. They, for the most part, show respect for their audience. With Smoky Mountain's success in Nossel and ECW's success a week earlier in their home base in Philadelphia, it shows that dedication and hard work in every aspect of your business can lead to success, even at a time when the major two promotions are seeing virtually all the key revenue-generating figures drop. So do you think writing this, Wade knows or doesn't know that Jim is not talking to him anymore? Obviously not. 
Right, because we're only, fair. you know, we're weeks removed from Wise Virginia and the coverage of all that is why I say that. I mean, but he's got he's got access, a lot of access here. He's talking to KC, he's talking to Brian. Yeah, the issue is not talking to smoky people on the record. It's just presumably that Jim does not want to talk to him. But uh, he's really putting them over here. Hard. Yeah. Very hard. And it's a regional so, promotion drawing 4,000 fans in 1994. Yeah. And, I mean, he's got a lot of, lot of uh, good points here at, Smoke, at this time. Staying is, though. It's about to change. is about to change, yes. So, yeah, there's that. If they were loving a show at Harlem, Kentucky, it had to be canceled due to poor weather. And because pipes froze at the school where they were going to wrestle at. Not good. They were scheduled to film a 60-minute draw with the Heavenly Bodies Rock and Roll Express for the tag titles on that show. To set up marathon matches around the horn. Most fall 60 minutes. Iron Man matches. They ended up having to take the 60-minute draw on February 12th in West Liberty, Kentucky. Although there was some time shaving involved as they were four hours away from home base and afternoon major card the next day. Results of this show at Morgan County High School in front of 650 fans in their debut in West Liberty, Kentucky. Trace Mills beat Chris Candido. Brian Lee over Jerry Whiteboy. Bruce Rose over Brian and Chris, Brian Lee and Chris Candido replacing the Moon Dogs who no-showed. By referee's decision at the match, the Rizzo ruled no contest. Rock and Rolls beat the bodies in the 60 minute match, although time was shaved off. And Dory Whiteboy eliminated Chris Candido and Brian Lee to win a battle royal. I think it, I, I think he meant to type fought because it was a draw because we we're not doing the marathon matches yet. Yeah, this is a draw. Yeah. So, yeah. So there you go. I, I'm more, I'm most impressed with the 650 for their debut in a spot town. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Those smoky spot towns generally did not draw, draw well. But this seems pretty healthy. Yeah. The new Bayface team of Landstorm and Chris Jericho team previously had sudden impact toward this weekend with Smoky Mountain, getting acclimated to the routine. There are big hopes that they will get over big in Smoky Mountain wrestling. It's from Torch. There were, and they did not. And like I said, they had just done that show in Calgary, and then they're in Smoky Mountain the next day. Just hanging around. <laughs> not working. So, I think they could have got over if Cornelia knew how to push him. If he didn't try to push them as an 80s tag team. Exactly. Exactly. So, what, what do you do? Especially since neither guy really has an established personality of any kind. Yet. Well, I kind of think that this this would have been a, this could have been the time to turn Rock and Roll's first heel. Hmm. If you want to get them, I mean, if you want to get them over as baby faces, thrill seekers, I but mean, you have rock and rolls, get jealous of them. At this point, Ricky and Robert will never do it, though, because the gimmick sales. <sighs> yeah, but I don't know. I mean, if you're going to do it that way, either that or either that or you turn or you have these guys go heel, you know? Yeah. So, so what Which day? That could have okay. worked out better. So what day does it say that? They got into Tennessee. They toured the weekend, so that's the twelfth and thirteenth. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, it was the eleventh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And Jericho yeah. does not wrestle between the ladder match and his war tour later in the month. Yeah. The ticket outlets in Atlanta area were said to have had a sizable amount of early interest in the March tenth Marietta show, the Armstrong Family Union. And that show did do well, so, right? It, yeah, it did. All right, USWA, very interesting TV show during our week. The show on February 12th, due to much of Memphis being without power, 
It ended up being Lawler and Dave Brown inside a studio intro and film clips as they didn't have enough juice in the generator to run the lights and do live matches. Because Memphis has such terrible weather, much of the air was without power over the weekend. The February 14th crowd was said to be way down, which we'll get in a second. But this is what happens, you know, when you do live television, things like this can happen. And there's a wrench in your plans. And the thing is that your syndicated show depends on this show. So your syndicated show has become a clip show then, too. So it hurts your so times for, the whole, for a whole week. Well, more than a week, but over the course of, you know what I mean. It affects everything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, the Miss Alcohol CM show did only 825 fans due to the inclement weather and the fact the power was out much of its air during the TV show. Eddie Gilbert regained the unified title from Jerry Lawler and Brian Christopher regained the USWA title from Doug Gilbert. Full results of the show Del Rio, Silver Skull Von Crush, Vito, Spellbinder of Vito. Mike Anthony over Ken Wayne by disqualification. Robert Gibson over Coco Beware. Interesting match. Wolfie D beat JC Ice in a hubcap on a pole match. Yes, they actually had a little feud here. Then we had USA title against Brian Christopher's hair, where Brian Christopher was saying his hair beating Doug for the title. Unified title versus Eddie Gilbert's car. Eddie uh, beat Jerry Law by countout to win the title. And then Moondogs went to no contest with Brian Law, Brian, Brian Law, Brian, Jerry Law, and Brian Christopher. So Jerry and Brian Law. Yes. Yes. And New England wrestler Perry Saturn is headed in. Yes, he is. So is New England wrestler John Cronus. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, this is we're, we're getting in that era now where Randy Hales is, is is back in, getting back in, and they're starting to go to they're going to start going to the youth movement. But Brian and Doug and PG thirteen mixed in with Tommy Rich and Ben Landell and guys like that, you know, mixing it up too. But getting to the youth movement. Yeah. All right, let's go to the Global Wrestling Federation. Still around. February 13th for the, the sports tour in front of 390 fans, papered. We have Vito Mussolini over Stephen Dane, Bix. <laughs> what, you wanted me to play a drop? When I mentioned his name, that should automatically be coming Ass. up. Yes. Just like you a have the biggest dick I've ever seen on Dane. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Action Jackson over Nick Golden. Jim Chris Adams over Sweet Daddy Falcone. Rob Price or Mike Davis by disqualification. And uh, Mike Davis and Scott Pusky went to double count out with Black Bart and John Hawk. Bradshaw. It's basically every show that was held in this building over the course of three years. A very, yeah, yeah. Just a lot, a lot of similar shit. No more deep, though, but a lot of similar shit here. A new promotion called, new promotion called Mexican Wrestling USA opened up at the Veterans Park at Carson, California, February 12th. And will run every Saturday night. The first show drew a turnaround crowd of 1,200 fans, including UWA star Super Astro and CMLO stars Hakimate, Los Brazos, Atomada Jr., and Javier Yanez, along with local wrestlers. The February 19th show will have Adandi, Mochacoto, Damon Jr., along with Arredelisco Jr. and Emilio Chavez Jr., coming in later in the month. Actually, the highlight of the first show was Roy Lucier, with his 100% Rudo son getting attacked by an old woman with her purse before security could pull her off of him. <laughs> we got to get Roy to tell that story on Twitter or something. Yes, we should <laughs> ask Roy Lucier about that. Yes, Roy Lucier, Roy Lucier. 
Yes, and since we haven't, uh, and since we haven't mentioned it on the glacier, show yet. glacier. Yes, uh, Mazel Tov to Roy on his recent wedding. Yes, yes, I did. I did Roy uh, Lucier for the glacier joke. <laughs> Let's see if you catch it. So, yes, Roy Lucier. Yes, and he, yeah, what a what a wedding that was. Yeah, he had his own pyro. <laughs> Sabu was at his wedding. I mean, those are some great pictures. He had Lenny Hart yeah, do his and his wife's introduction. Yes. Roy something else. Yes. He is definitely something else. So, yeah, we got to get him to tell this story. All right. Uh, OPWF, Oregon. You just, you knew this had to happen soon. And, and you knew this had to happen sometime soon, Department. On February 12th, Billy Jack Haynes ran the debut card of his new Oregon Purpose Federation in Portland. Haynes wrestled Scott Norton in the main event, which ended with Buddy Rose hit the ring, hit both men, and needed a baton. <laughs> the set of Haynes versus Buddy Rose on February 26th. Hey, it has extra meaning here because Tanya Harney is from the Northwest. <laughs> so this is a home angle right here, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, just like, uh, whatchamacallit, Mega Maharishi, too. <laughs> Yes. Um, the debut show drew 421 pay in a 600-seat building. It was a success. Norton received no reaction, but Haynes, who hadn't worked since late 1991, received a tremendous babyface pop. Results of the show saw Moondog Moretti over Nick Wayne's father, Buddy Wayne. Billy Two Eagles over the riot maker, Richie Magnet. Holy Olsen over firefighter Adrian. Mike Miller over Timothy Flowers and Billy Jack Haynes with no contest. With Scott Norton at Bad News Island is really coming up for this group. In theory. Um, so wait, did he fly in Scott Norton? Scott was living in the Northwest. He was still living in the Northwest in 94? Mm, I think so, yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that. I think he was flying out of Northwest to go to Japan. Ah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and clearly no issues with between... Haynes and the other promotions at this time, given who's on this show. Well, there's no, I mean, Donna went out of business, you know? I mean, it's just different. Yeah. Um, now, do we think that the Oregon Pro Wrestling Federation was like the Oregon Wrestling Federation that he ran fears earlier in that it was the only regional promotion affiliated with the World Wrestling Federation, which you knew because it had Wrestling Federation in the name? Uh, Probably not. Uh, okay. Well, Let's move on to elsewhere in Portland, where this is probably the, is this the biggest Portland section we've ever had? Or subsection? Um, uh, no. Because we had more, we have our bar in the past, Tanya Harding. Okay. So. But as far as, like, strictly local matters, you know, because we got the commission. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Well, let's hear about the commission. But. Who knows how long that, that record will last? Hint, hint. All right, in the hearing regarding Sandy Barr's license to promote in Oregon, the hearing officer, Rebecca Osborne, no relation to longtime area wrestling star Tony and Matt, through the athletic commission had proved their points that Sandy Barr's company had not met the requirements to promote wrestling, citing using unlicensed wrestlers, inadequate, inadequate ring security, not paying taxes since July, Conducting matches since April under a corporation name that was no longer in existence, and using an unlicensed security guard who was a convicted pedophile. 
What is it with pedophilia in Oregon, huh? Osborne wrote in their report that Spar Saturday Night Show's built as amateur public workouts where the wrestlers received $50 expense money instead of $50 payoffs. <laughs> instead, wrestling exhibitions were a vainly, thinly veiled attempt to continue to promote wrestling cards and call them something else. Barr still has 30 days to appeal the ruling to the superintendent of state police. If Barr continues that 30-day period, which expires two weeks, state police can not only close down the show, but arrest everyone involved in the show, including the wrestlers. Barr has been doing interviews on television trying to tie the commission to government waste, saying that Bruce Anderson, the head of the Boston Wrestling Commission, earns a $60,000 a year salary and mishandles his power and blames Anderson for the fact the state's collected no tax money on pro wrestling since July. A second interview saw Barr talk about how Anderson has collected six months worth of salary during a period of the government has collected no tax on wrestling. In a third interview saw Barr talk about how wrestling was his life and taxpayers' money is being wasted because state troopers are watching the wrestling shows. <laughs> Vic, any thoughts on Sandy Barr going to score stuff on Bruce Anderson here? Do you blame him? I don't blame him, but... If Sandy Barr's doing what he's doing with them, that, that you know what they're describing here, that's not good. No. So is no one else running in Oregon at this time until Billy, Billy Jack, Jack starts? Until Billy Jack starts. Nobody of note. No. I mean that that he said zero tax dollars were collected on wrestling in the months that Sandy hadn't officially been running. Yeah. So. I mean, he makes a fair point about, like, what are we paying this guy for while the commission's bringing in no money because of all this, but I don't know. This commission was always a bit of a, I don't even know if stickler's the right word, but Bruce Anderson, it seems like, was someone on a power trip. I know, at an athletic commission. I'm shocked, but well, there's there's more though. There's and, more, <laughs> and it, this also involved does have to do with the Bar family. Too. Yeah, and another member of the Bar family. Columnist Phil Sanford in the Oregonian, the local newspaper, wrote a column on the Love Machine, John Rambo situation, where Bruce Anderson obviously sourced the article. The article basically said that Rambo was scheduled to wrestle Silver Shadow, but when he got to the arena, his opponent was the Love Machine. According to the police report, about thirty seconds to the first set. ALM, Initials Free Support, used for Bar, American Love Machine, was supposed to deliver two kicks to Rambo's midsection and deliver a third blow and knock him down. Rambo claimed that instead Bar called him with a punch to the face, knocking the tube clear through his lip, but Bar apologized and said it was a mistake. But eight minutes to the match, ALM was supposed to throw Rambo into the ropes, and when he bounced back, ALM was supposed to clothesline him across the chest. Rambo claimed that the clothesline caught him square in the nose breaking it, and requiring two hours of surgery. And it's still completely repaired, and it's thought he'll need more surgery. At that point, Sandy Barr jumped in the ring, took off his shirt, and he challenged Rambo, who he called the Stooge, to fight him. Anderson contacted the state police who investigated and gave the report to the district attorney, but the assistant DA decided against prosecution because he felt it would be impossible to convince a jury that this wasn't all an angle for us and everybody. R. Bars had stated that both men were stiff in parts of the match, but the broken nose was an accident, that the only actual shooting was limited to about six seconds, which is a front face lock, and Rambo then refused to do the plan finish, which was machine winning when Frankenstein was top rope. <sighs> oh my God, Dix. 
didn't Sandy literally get on the mic after the match and start going off about how Rambo was a stooge for the commission? Yes. And they're claiming yeah. Art did not shoot on him? That's what Art said. Okay. <laughs> Only six seconds or so. <sighs> and and to be clear, this is the Hagerstown, Maryland, uh, John Rambo. Yeah. Not uh, Luke Poirier or... Uh, no, he's a Japan team with Bobby. The Mexican one, yes. So, <laughs> what a story. Uh, is this match online anywhere? Uh, let's see. No. Ah, can't remember if it ever was. I feel like I've seen it at some point, but what a mess. Yeah, it's definitely a mess. Also, isn't Art still technically suspended in Oregon and he's only able to work because it's a not an official show? <laughs> yes. Or not not suspended, not licensed, I guess. Because it was that they wouldn't give him a new license, wasn't it? How are you going to describe it? Yeah. yeah. But lower the bars and their issues. Yes. I also love that the police report keep referred to him as ALM. Well... Not He's an American love machine. So, it is what it is. Alright, let's close up with World Championship Wrestling. And we go to the Pearls of Torch. And what appears to be a somewhat elaborate, senseless plot, WCW apparently fooled his own wrestlers and the press into thinking that Dusty Rhodes was fired as the booker and the mode to the senior consultant position. Now, believed to be a largely ghost position. It appeared instead it appears the senior consultant tiles being taken literally by Rhodes superiors. Dusty's still in charge of overseeing all booking aspects of WCW, and Ric Flair, believed to have been the heir to Rhodes' booking position, has yet to attend or be invited to a booking meeting. Instead, Dusty remains in complete control. He's been backstage every taping since his supposed demotion, and has accompanied Bischoff on important meetings with prospective employees. Not one person has come up with a likely theory on why WCW management pulled off this stunt. But the wrestlers are said to be more upset than ever with the current situation in the company, given the poor lines of and apparently disingenuous communication they have with management. A telltale sign that WCA management plans to keep Rhodes in charge of booking for several more months is that he plotted the rest of the company at the Disney tapings, helped by his new right-hand man, Robert Fuller, a.k.a. Colonel Parker. But Flair is the booker. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he is. Okay, what does the follow-up on this in subsequent weeks look like? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's funny because, uh, I mean, I, I saw this on my like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is from the torch. This is not the Observer. And the Observer did not have anything on this story. So, like, yeah, what does the next week and the week after look like? All right, so let's let me let me go find it and let's see what I can find here. All right, so February twenty sixth, torch just covers Super Brawl. Um, uh, nothing, nothing about it in that one. Wait, what date are you using? I don't. There's no. I'm looking March, at the March March fifth. Web listings. Okay. Uh. Nothing on that. Uh, March 12th. I'm assuming there has to be some point where he concedes who the booker is. 
so he yeah, has the same thing about a BBL editorial about Super Bowl where he talks about Dusty clearly not being a creative genius. And he seems to think so he seems to think Dusty's the booker the next week. Okay, wait, what am I reading? Okay. So there's a Mark Madden predictions column. The week after that, which says which has as a joke prediction, despite being fired, Dusty Rhodes will need to book WCW throughout the year. And in 1995, so Madden's doing his column two weeks later, as if Dusty's actually out. But Wade never does any a piece about it. Dirt sheets, everybody. <laughs> well, I think it's just the fact that Wade knew he probably got worked in all this, so I just want to talk about it so it'll go away. Um, One of those types of days. Okay, well, no, now I so I found, okay, who's this column by that has cheers and boos? Okay, so let me see what that is. Okay, so this is a Carly Gill column from the March 12th issue. Hold on, I think I went too far. Uh, boos to Eric Bischoff. More important than the Missy Hyatt firing is his lack of communication with wrestlers. Wrestlers' poor morale is due to not feeling part of the loop. For example, not knowing whether Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair was in charge in booking. And then blah, blah, blah. So Carly Gill is acting like there this was a genuine issue going on. I'm so confused. I don't understand. Well, that's probably, that's probably what was going on. Wade's hearing it from talent, but the decision had already been made. That makes so they don't sense. Know. They don't know. So it's not he's not he's not being worked himself. It's the talent being worked and tell and tell on him. Yeah. What they know. But that's not the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it is confusing. Don't be everybody. That's all you can say about this. Only them would do some shit like this. Anyway, about those Orlando tapings. And we go to Dave Meltzer. WCW did their quarterly Orlando worldwide tapings from February seventh to the tenth. Giving away some aspects of the storylines through the end of May. Less was given away at the third tapings compared with the previous two. No title changes were made obvious to the public. This is also to be far more disorganized overall than the previous two. The tapings ended with a larger, more disgruntled crew of wrestlers than previous Orlando tapings due to some changes in company benefits. The perceived emergence of Dusty Rhodes' booker, although not name. Well, there's Dave talking about the emergence of Dusty Rhodes' the booker. Once again, and what is perceived to be a less diplomatic approach to town by Eric Bischoff, who appeared to be the man in charge of the proceedings. While some company officials are saying that Rhodes is still in charge of work he had already completed, it became obvious that Rhodes and Eric Bischoff were the ones in charge of the talent aspect of the company, which caused reactions ranging from uncaring bemusement by those who have already been mainly given up on the idea of a turnaround to heat from those who believe they've been held back by not being a member of the Rhodes clique and thought he was out, only to come out of the realization that nepotism has never been more apparent in the company. The disappointment from those who still had a hope that the company was headed in a more positive direction. But still, those in the company continue to insist that Ric Flair is going to head the booking committee and Rhodes only have minor input and be mainly on their talent. Well, here's Dave with that, Bix. But he's also hearing it from the wrestlers. You know? It's WCW. Among the highlights of the week were the entire car for Spring Stampede was on March 17th. Here's how you know that, that you want to know how you know Flair's in charge? What's the main event of uh, Spring Stampede, Bix? The, the, let's talk about it. The main yes. entire card from the Roads from Horizon, Suburban Chicago, will be Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat for WCW title. That's how you know Flair's in charge. Right there. Yeah, pretty much. Neither will turn. 
which was true. Rip Rue versus Sting from WWE International World Title. The Boss versus Vader. Steve Austin versus Great Buddha for the US title. Steve Regal versus Brian Pillman for the TV title. Nancy Woods versus Cactus Jack, Matt Spain for the tag titles. Dustin Rose versus Buckhouse Buck. Jimmy Golden doing a tribute to uh, doing a tribute to putting cousin Robert Welch on the booking committee. And Tara Ryan's and Paul Levesque. More him later versus Tom Zink. The Flair Steamboat match will take place five years after their classic series of matches in 89, which go to Todd in Chicago, one of the most memorable matches of the past 10 years in this country. For us, 100 times, they met in 1976, and the most ardent detractors of this match headline of pay per view show at this point will admit it's a great match. At least on paper, this looks like it should be one of the best wrestled shows of the year, past few years for WCW on pay per view. Although nothing was done at the taping as far as angles for the top three matches. It's believed Flair and Steamboat will be a match where Flair gives Steamboat a title shot because he owes him a favor. They apprised the 8384 angle in the Carolinas, which resulted in those days in huge houses. But that was 10 years ago, and this is a different business. Most key storyline angles are going to be a shot on the Saturday night shows to come. Again, how can how can Dave, Dave of all people, not see what's happening here? That Steamboat, Flair and Steamboat is wrestling each other on pay-per-view in the main event? And you think that Dusty Rhodes is booking that match? <laughs> really? <laughs> Well, the last really big Flair Steamboat match booked by Dusty was a babyface match. And that's really the only big one booked by Dusty, the one at Boogie Jam a decade earlier. That, was, that wasn't Dusty. That was still Dory? Dory Fun Jr. Okay, you're right. You're right. It's too early in the year. What am I saying? When does Dusty officially take over? He... He has booking input before he's actually there, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't fully take over as and come in until August. Okay, that's when he leaves Florida full time. So yeah, Dusty has uh, the only thing close to Dusty booking Flair Steamboat matches are the ones in like eighty early eighty five in Philly, which I'm guessing are cards he's not really putting together anyway. It's house show cards. Yeah. So yeah. He's not doing Flair's thing, but... Flair wants to go 35 minutes and do the double bridge, brother. Well, Flair loves working with Steamboat. Yeah. So, if Flair's booking, he's going to book himself against the guys he wants to work with. Yes. I.E. Hulk Hogan. Yes. <laughs> the May 22nd Slam review will take place from the Philadelphia Civic Center. The only matches made clear are Ruse defending this title against Vader in a heel versus heel match. Dustin Rose against Buckhouse Buck. Also defending the U.S. title against Jimmy Bad. And Regal defend the TV title against Larry Zabisco. Which all those would have happened as that, except Rugen hurt. Yes. The only key newcomer I reported here last week was Sherry Martell. In the role of a babyface manager to the Sullivan brothers, Kevin and Evad, they spelled backwards. Evad Sullivan being this equalizing the babyface role as Kevin's younger brother, who a few of the nasty boys. The idea was Sherry would be used to counteract the presence of Missy Hyatt, but as it turns out, that won't be the case because. There is no more presence of Missy Hyatt. Two days before Sherry was scheduled to start, Missy was fired by Eric Bischoff, apparently going over his head to Bob Duke about over her con contractual situation. Hyatt, whose current contract was set to expire on February 28th, had probably expressed extreme concern. Uh, excuse me, I lost my train of thought there. Extreme concern she wasn't going to be resigned, and it, would, it wound up being prophetic, prophetic, perhaps a self fulfilling prophecy. The nature of the firing was such that Hyatt actually went to the TBS offices two days later in Atlanta with two attorneys asking if she actually had been fired by Bischoff and was told, in fact, she had been. 
Heist had been moved to New York City to take acting lessons, and unless she can hook up with Titan, she'll be out of the wrestling business. Ironically, Hyatt, along with other dose personalities, including Sting, Rick Rude, and Jesse Ventura, will be guests on the Vicky Lawrence talk show that's scheduled to air in most markets on February 21st. Hyatt's appearance will make for some clumsy television. At the baby on February 20th, her non-appearance, if even acknowledged, will be said that she was fired as manager by the Nasty Boys after a disagreement. However, since WCW takes so far in advance, she'll continue to appear and be talked about in interviews that air weeks after the pay-per-view on cable and months after in syndication. WCW, everybody. And that happens. Yes. Also, uh, Sherry and the Sullivans never airs on TV. Never airs on television, yes. Did make it to WCW Magazine, though. Yes. Which was confused. Also, though, <laughs> they don't call him Evad in that, though. They call him Divad. He's Divad Sullivan just, in the magazine. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I get it. I understand why Eric wants to do the Orlando tapings. What a fucking disaster. Yeah, and... Okay. So these are supposed to air through May. I'm guessing the reason that they don't air any of the Sherry with the Sullivan stuff, besides Evad blowing out his knee in, earlier in the month, is... Um, I guess it depends on what week of TV all this was supposed to start on. Maybe also when Hogan signs and Flair knows he wants to have Sherry as his valet to work Hogan. Mm-hmm. Then again, wait a second. There were taping at, at there were shows at the next round of Orlando tapings where Sherry is there still scouting guys that aired after she was with Flair. So that couldn't have been it either. <laughs> it's so confusing. Because. Do you remember this, too, that there was one, like, a week or two after the clash where she's still scouting Brian Pillman and Tony and Bobby on commentary are like, well, uh, Ric Flair is going to have to give her a few words about this. Yeah. Just, what a cluster. It's WCW. That's all you can say, WCW, everybody. Speaking of talk shows, Sting was the first WC person on ever to get an appearance after years of trying on the Arsenio Hall show on February 15th. Damn shame it's not in our week. That morning, in, in promos for the show by Hall's crew, Sting was billed as the current WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Arsenio Hall exposure years ago was considered one of the plum jewels of their promotion of major events in years past, but that was at a time when Hall's show was infinitely more popular than it is today. Yeah, how I many I mean, people thought it was read this and think, man, Arsenio was still in the air in 1994? He when was. the Bobcat Twig thing that gets him fully killed, canceled, whatever? Oh, my God. All right, that was... Uh, where he spray paints... That was in 94. Yeah, where he spray, spray paints Paramount sucks. April, April 30th. It's in April. In April and in the May. So the show is not dead yet. The last point. night of the tapings was May 27th. The last night of which tapings? Yeah. Arsenio tapings. Oh, the last night of t of shows that he ever taped. Okay. Yeah, that was the last night they taped shows. So. The other Sting appeared on Arsenio in 91. Well, of course he was on, would have been on there. He did Purple Haze. Okay, that sounds interesting. But... Um, Sting the wrestler and Arsenio's not on YouTube, sadly. No, I've never seen that one. I saw it when it aired, <laughs> but that's the last time I've seen it. 
Don't remember it much, really, but I remember, I remember it airing. Oh, wait, it was to protest the cancellation that Bobcat, Bobcat threw his fit. Okay. So the show had just been canceled, effective a month from that point. Okay. Yeah, May 27th was the last taping, yes. But I don't think it's been canceled yet as of this point. Although they were not at the tapings, Bobby Eaton and Steve Kern are being put together as a tag team as babyfaces, believe it or not. The Fabulous Express. I swear I'm not making this up, Dave said. Eaton was turned New Japan during the taping, so Kern never appeared on camera. So I guess it was the previous tapings where Steve Kern appeared as the Gator in the matches that never appeared. I guess, but here's a plan that doesn't happen. Another one. No, because they're Cause heels and they're heels, bad attitude. Bad attitude. Bad attitude. Yeah. Which I like that. I like that grouping and that gimmick. Didn't stick, but I liked it. Frank Anderson, former Olympic medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling, where several matches destroying jobbers with suplex had a suplex, and what was billed as Greco-Roman rules matches. There was uncertainty if these matches would ever air in this country, or if they were only safe for Europe with Anderson, a native of Sweden, being pushed as a European babyface, with nowhere did Boy Smith fill that role, for the tours. Particularly in Sweden, where Anderson has considerable name recognition from his amateur wrestling success. Anderson not only destroyed some jobbers, but himself in the process, throwing out his back and injuring himself to the point he couldn't work the final day. Oops. Some Frank Anderson matches did air over here, that's for sure. Yes. But a lot of them were taped for overseas. Many other game matches were held, such as Ron Simmons versus the boss in a handcuff match, and then when the boss handcuffed Simmons to the corner. Sting and Rude and I quit match, which actually never took place, as Rude used a coal miner's glove to KO Sting before the match. And a series of Marcus of Queensberry rules, which is actually a boxing term, running the entire May sweeps, with Ric Flair versus Steve Regal doing five-minute time limit, totally scientific matches, ending with judges running decisions, which saw them trade wins back and forth, and what was said to be really good Matt wrestling matches. Oh, absolutely. And then the game matches the Tuxedo Street Fight with Steve Austin and Johnny B. Bad, with a loser being the first to get his tuxedo completely torn off, in which Austin won when Robert Parker ripped off Bad's tuxedo. Most of the game matches part of a May syndicated Dream Match series, in which Dream Matches are picked out of a bowl by the Dream himself, Dusty Rhodes, and his back-on-camera role. I think there's other well, the stuff one thing- not listed here, too, because um, wasn't uh, Max Payne, Ron Simmons, False Count Anywhere at this taping, too? Or this set of tapings? It's possible. But, I mean, at least they're doing stuff stuff on these tapings that's not just straight jobber, 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 jobber matches, you know? Right. And you're not trying to give away as much storyline-wise. So it's like, okay, let's come up with a reason to have appealing matches that won't necessarily be give away future storylines or be as disruptive if plans change. Or disrupted, I guess I should say. Yes. In addition, at a team meeting, several new items were discussed. On road swings, the company used to pick up the tab for wrestlers' rental cars, provided they ride at least three to a car. That policy has been discontinued. They also once again handed out the company drug policy, which is the same policy that was handed out before, with the proviso that random testing will begin. WCW has only done two drug tests over the past 15 months, as opposed to weekly testing in WF. In the case of both previous tests, even though there were reportedly numerous failures, there were no suspensions, although WCW did require all talent failing the most recent test to attend an eight-hour counseling session. While they they showed that testing would be enforced, there wouldn't be enough wrestlers left to fill the house show because of pot more than steroids. It also caused a mysterious reaction because of the belief by veteran wrestlers that the company is continuing to push a drug policy 
while continuing to bring in young wrestlers whose only qualification for a job is what appears to be a steroid-enhanced physique. And they got they got rights to believe that, too, because that was going on. I mean, Frank Anderson. Yeah. Frank Anderson gets busted in a steroid bust. Mm-hmm. Also at the tapings was former wrestler Angela Mosca. No confirmation on what his role is, but it's well known in WCW is either very close to or has closed on a major deal, which will syndicate worldwide in all the major Canadian cities. Perhaps they would use Mosca, who was a famous football player in the CFL during the 60s, which springboarded him into a major wrestling draw of Canada in the 70s and into the 80s as a color commentator. Mosca did that role for the WF during his early expansion, but always seemed bored and disinterested and was generally regarded as the worst announcer in the business during that time period. He was that bad. <laughs> Great word association with him and Jack Reynolds at the beginning of each All-Star Wrestling, though. And then they they would do that with Jesse for a short time when Jesse started up. When Jesse took his spot. It didn't last long, but they but they would do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, the great uh, team of Angela Mosca and Jack Reynolds picks. Uh, I will say this for those All-Star Wrestling shows. They had... Uh, they had some good heat from those crowds. Those Canadian crowds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the London, Ontario, too. All right. I got a short video, Bix, of, uh, of what the people may, uh, may be missing out on with Angela Mosca and Jack Reynolds here. So uh, let's take a, a gander at this. And this is the word association intro for the October 20th, 84. Either the intro or the outro, one or two. But they did it both. All right. Let's see. Make sure you have your screen share. Can't forget that. I see him in their tuxes. This is Jack Reynolds at ringside along with Angelo Mosca. And welcome to the World Wrestling Federation featuring the superstars of professional wrestling. Angelo, this week, this week on the World Wrestling Federation, Big John Studd, Ooh. Dr. D, David Schultz, the Junkyard Dog, oh. Cowboy Bob Horton, also, the Moondogs, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Piper's Pit, and Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Yes, Andre the, the Giant. It does exactly what he wants to do. Seven what? foot two. I guess we didn't get more association. Seventy-five pounds. Andre did a the Giant. Let's go up to the ring right now in the introductions to our first bout. And he did say excitement, of course. And Jack Reynolds was. Uh, this is October 20th, the air day. Uh, Jack Reynolds is also hosting Pro Wrestling USA still at that time. That had been pre-taped. Goddamn, pal. <laughs> Kurt Henning didn't appear at the taping, so it appears the report in the Atlanta newspaper last week was a case of the reporter misinterpreting WCW's Mike Weber talking about the vignettes WF shot on Henning years ago and believing it was WCW that had shot those videos. Okay. <laughs> Now I'm curious to see oh, what exactly was said there. We, we we you know we did that if I'm not mistaken we did that week, and then we talked about it. But it's a, I mean the whole this whole you know dalliance with Kurt Henning in this era is something. And then he appears at WrestleMania, and then he's gone again, and then he's gone again, and then he's maybe coming in WCW and doesn't. Yes, yeah, so we did it on show eighty-one. We talked about that that week. Okay. It's been a while, but I don't remember talking about it. So, yeah, if you want to go back a week in time, go back to show 81. 
All right. Uh, the biggest question going into the tapings regarding the possible appearance of Hulk Hogan remained up in the air. Hogan, Jimmy Hart, and Bruce Beefcake all were around the tapings at one time or another. As their Thunder and Paradise television show was being filmed at the same time, actually across town. Neither Hart nor Beefcake ever appeared before the camera, and Hogan never appeared at the taping. However, a series of three short interviews for WCW were cut by Hogan, with Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan largely to plug Hogan's television show, which debuted a syndication on March 21st. In the interviews, the possibility of a Hogan-Flair match was brought up, which would lead one to believe is going to happen, as pro wrestling rules are, you don't tease something on television that you aren't going to deliver. However, pro wrestling rules don't apply to this situation. Our reports are that WCW is making a big play for Hogan versus Flair pay-per-view in a series of matches later this year, and has a strong offer on the table. Hogan has listened to the offer, but none has been signed. Many sources of WCW are more confident in the deal is going to happen than they were one week ago. Most likely after completion of the filming of the 22 episodes already ordered, Hogan will return to wrestling in either Europe, which would be the easiest market for him to draw big crowds, or the United States, if not both. Nikon Sports, a Japanese daily, reported this past week an interview with Jimmy Hart, Hogan's personal manager and mouthpiece, that Hogan would form his own wrestling company and tour Germany. That store was largely saying Hogan wouldn't be appearing on the May 1st New Japan Fukuoka Dome show, although no reason was given. The real reason appears to be Hogan's role as a government witness in the Titan Sports Vincent Man steroid trial, which was scheduled to start the next day. It's believed that, that uh, Jimmy Hart will start up a promotion for both Europe and the United States, putting on high-tech live shows with the production values of the AAA house shows, or house shows special effects, WF and WCW only using pay-per-view shows, without television. However, we're told no decision has been reached as to which option Hogan will choose. I'll tell you this, I mean, even back then, and not being, you know, extremely smart to the wrestling business at that point in time, but knowing knowing what's going on. As soon as Hulk Hogan appeared on WCW television, or as soon as his name was even mentioned on WCW television, I knew he was coming in. I mean, that's just the way, that's the way well, it goes. Yeah. I mean, there's no way around it. No, of course not. And then you, you do these interviews with Heenan and Oakland, you know, where, I mean, they basically just talk about Thunder and Paradise and stuff. I mean, you watch that and you just definitely know then. I mean, it's just easy to see. Yes. So. Okay, I found the uh, Atlanta Constitution article. Actually, wait, yeah, which version of the paper is this at this point? Yeah. Is it the... Uh, it's, bo uh, it's both. It's both. It is the Journal Constitution. Oh, no, at this point, it is the Atlanta Journal slash the Atlanta Constitution. Well, they're together, so... Well, I know. I'm literally the top of the page has both names as one slash the other. It's not the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Yes. Atlanta Journal slash con dash Constitution. No, that's not what it says. It says the Atlanta Journal slash the Atlanta Constitution. Well, that's what the it's same thing, Bix. Okay, fine. God damn. <laughs> Holy okay. shit. Were there different versions still at this point that said journal or constitution? No, it's all the same. <laughs> okay, because that's not usually you. how those merger names were. Anyway. That's how it worked here. I'm sorry. It was, it was about Kurt Hennig going deer hunting. Um, And then, okay, so it here's what it says. Hennig from Minneapolis got the nick his nickname, Mr. Perfect, several years ago, according to Mike Weber, director of marketing for World Championship Wrestling in Atlanta. WCW filmed several vignettes with Hennig throwing darts, shooting baskets, shooting pool, and diving and diving for a wrestling show. He did everyone on the That's first take what, said Weber. There's confusion. He was always perfect with everything he did. He took his deer on the first take, too. I got him with the first bullet I ever shot out of that rifle, he said. When you're perfect, things happen like that. So there you go. All right. Um, 
Chase Ventura will be back announcing at the Super Bowl. Originally wasn't going to return to the television show the week after. So there's that. Uh, Liz Hewlett, former Liz Apafo, Randy Savage's ex, had considered coming in, but her contract release from Titan in 1992 included a non-compete clause through 1995. So it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And you hmm. folks complain about 90 days. <laughs> well, I mean, the way <laughs> WWE three years. Well, the way WWE does it now isn't even a non-compete anymore. I think they change it after one one lawsuit of some kind. They're giving you a 90-day notice if you're talent. Is effectively she what had it three is. years. Woof. And she's not getting paid during that. No. That's why she's working at a shop. Yeah. Man. Wow. The Patriots has signed a contract yet, but this on a Monday agreement, which will largely keep him out of Japan. Speaking of, WCW Saturday night. After a preview of the show, Nick Botwinkle joined Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan on the set to announce that Ric Flair had met the deadline and the cage match against Vader was back on. The Nasty Boys brutalized their opponents in front of Ted Turner and Jane Fonda, who were sitting in the crowd during this week's taping. Ted kept feigning grimaces during the show whenever the cameras focused on him. What, more on Ted in a minute. Uh, promo ever joined me bad, talking about facing Rick Root for their national title in the program. Oakland interviewed Ric Flair about facing Vader. Juggling Jim still won a squash match. And then we get Gene interviewing Ted and Jane. And Wade said Turner had trouble getting a clear sentence out of his mouth. Was well, Ted Turner. So let's go to Mean Gene bothering Ted and Jane. Well, it's great to see the fans in the stands here on WCW Saturday night. And we've got a couple of very special people. Good friends of ours and, of course, of World Championship Wrestling. Jane Fonda. Jane, welcome to center stage. And, of course, our fearless leader, Ted Turner. Ted, it just seems to me like you take a look at these guys. They get bigger. They get better. And World Championship Wrestling just seems to keep on keeping on bigger and better all the time, too. Well, I've been involved with the wrestling business since we started televising it back in, I think, uh, 73. And so it's, it's a real uh, pleasure for me to be really... Uh, really in it now well the growth is phenomenal and we certainly appreciate your support i can't tell you what an honor it is these fans love you we want to see more of you all right stay tuned when we return we're going to be back with the super brawl control center don't go away he just seems nervous <laughs> i think he's i don't think it's, not, it's ted turner's never nervous um i think he probably knows that jane does not want to be there Gene looks looks happier though than he does. Well, the camera's on. Well, she's actually a professional <laughs> actress too. Exactly. We, I mean, we've seen Ted on wrestling programming before, and he's never been. You know, was like that low key. He's not like that when you he's know? on the show, when he's on the show later in the year. No, although that's actually part of an angle. Yeah, but. Still, though, I mean, that was a big deal to see Ted there, you know? At center That's stage. the boss. It's Ted Turner, yes. And this is, and this is WCW. Hulk Hogan's not in the company. Nope. This is WCW in a period where they're, you know, not doing great. And here's Ted. So I wonder I wonder what they did to get him to show up. Or if he just showed up on, you know, when they should show up. I'm just curious on that one, what the story would, would be. So I should ask Eric Bischoff about that. So I don't know. Patriot made his debut and fought Lord Stephen Regal to a 10-minute draw. 
Wade has a thought on that in a minute, so we'll get on that. Then we have another debut. Let's go to the clip. We are back with a newcomer in World Championship Wrestling. As you take a look at a great crowd on hand, our first look at Terra Rising. Well... <laughs> All right, his name is spelled Terror, as in the Terror, T-E-R-R-O-R, Ryzen, R-I-S-I-N apostrophe. <laughs> These people have never heard of, how, of like, gimmick spellings before, I guess. Because his actual ring name, if I remember right, is T-E-R-R-A space mm-hmm. capital R-Y-Z-I-N. G. Was it Rising or Rising? Terror Rising. Terror Rising. Are you sure? Yes. yes. Uh, you're right. Okay. I know I'm right. <laughs> no need to even debate that. But, uh, but yeah. So. Anyway, let's go back to the video. Oh, and he has. What a kiss ass this man has always been. His robe is WCW logo colors. Course. Actually, wait, or is, that the Kowal- or is that the Kowalski robe, actually, that just happened to be well, the colors? I don't know, but hey, he always knew how to play the game. So yeah, he's wearing a robe that is WCW Loco colors. Yeah, he's not. Uh, Kowalski wasn't wearing a shorty robe like that. Terrorizing for his first match on Saturday night. Well, Keith Cole, the senior member of the Cole Twins, Keith Cole. By how many minutes? <laughs> Just think what they're gonna say about Keith Cole when he hits about seventy years of age. What? It's going to be old Keith Cole. I doubt if he'll be a merry old soul either. The bell, and here we go. Oh, my goodness. Bobby. Now, Vince, <laughs> him and his brother are living proof that the Simpsons did have children. It's a, to the side of the head. Tara Rising. Wasting funny. no time. Take a look at this body on this guy, Bob. Pretty powerful Whoa. individual. Good duck under. Well, he Takes was just a teenage new Cole kicks away. Terror rising back up, and Cole sends him down again. Nicely done. And a drop kick. Andre I mean, kicked down. I'll say this for someone who is green as hell. You can't tell. He is in the right place at the right time for every single thing he does. I mean, he was trained, properly trained. I mean, there's a reason that for his first match, you know, Walter asked him to wear his robe. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's properly trained. A lot of, I mean, those Kowalski guys, they were generally always, they always had the basics down. Yeah. So let's give ahead to the. Yeah, end. so they, yeah, let's see the finish here. Yes, I'm assuming he uses his uh, inverted Indian death. And again to the other corner. Cole now sending him up with a back body drop.
you know, and Meltzer puts over the ways that Triple H is a great worker, especially live. Like, he always puts over, you know, his ring positioning, just as being in the right place, etc. Again to the corner. Sarah Rice, he moves out of the way. And Cole hit his knee. Showing the quickness you talked about, Bob. Is that the figure four he's going for? No. It almost looks like Indian Deathlock here. That's what it is. That's it. He's got an Indian Deathlock on him. And Cole may be giving up here. Hey, I'm impressed. A different variation. Terror Rising. It's not Andre Rising's brother, is no, it? No, it's not. <laughs> That's a good line. Here on WCW Saturday night. Defeating one half of the Cole twins, Keith Cole. All right, Bob, let's go back and take a look at some of the action from this newcomer in a most impressive win on Saturday night. Look at this backbreaker. Spins the guy around like a tilt-a-whirl. Now, he should have covered hey, old Keith nice Cole right there, there instead of walking away. Yeah. But there, he's got the Indian Deathlock slap down, and this is great. This is what Colonel Custer used to use, and he reverses it on the I man. I forgot this part. He teams. sets up a regular Indian Deathlock standing and you then that little big horn? spins him over, so they're both face down. <laughs> Colonel Custer. <laughs> I, I like that entrance music, too, that he used as uh, terrorizing and Jean-Paul Levesque. Is he Andre Rice's brother? Great. Great line by Heenan. Uh, well, I think at that time, I think this is the... I don't know if Left Eye's burned his house down yet or not. We're in that time period. Let me see here. Uh, Andre Rice and Left Eye. Uh, it's in 94. Don't see the exact date. June 9th. So no, that has not happened yet. So there you go. Oh God, could you imagine ah. if if it was like a little over a week later and yet another thing happened on June 17th, 1994? Oh God. Yeah. Uh Oakland interviewed Robert Parker and Steve Austin. Parker introduced the Mongolian Mauler as Brian Pillman's opponent on next week's show. Austin set a cement block on Mauler's stomach and broke it in half with a hammer. Fantastic. Vader won a squash and then went let up at his opponent. Steamboat and the boss made the save. Boss is announced as a special referee for Flair and Vader's cage match. Steamboat then beat Fidel Sierra. As Steamboat left the ring, he said he was going for the goal. Shivani mentioned that uh, Flair had promised Steamboat a title shot if he survived Vader. Oakland sent the crowd and flooded his 900 number. Boss destroyed Rip Rogers and then promoted Flair Vader. Oakland interviewed Pillman and Dustin Rhodes. Rick Rubin, Jamie Bad retained the WCW International title. Badman's a top rope sunset flip. Rick responded to a rude awakening. And Invader closed the show with another promo. Analysis. Why did the Patriot earn a TV title shot in his first appearance? Bad Rude was okay for a TV main event. I know the program. Well, I mean, he's the Patriot. He was a former television champion. Global Federation, Russian Federation TV champion. So he's got that going for him. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the TV title too. The TV title operates by different rules. Yes. All right, let's go to the scorecard here. Match quality: twelve out of twenty. Achieve purpose: fourteen out of twenty. Angles: five out of ten. Interview: six out of ten. Announcing: seven out of ten. Production values: nine out of ten. Wow, for WCW. Uh, pacing continuity: seven out of ten. Wow, for WCW. And it's in the tune next week, 5 out of 10, giving the overall score 65 out of 100. So, not barely bad. passing, technically. 
I'm going to say barely passing. I mean, when I was growing up, 65 two, two, was a, the... Uh, a 75. Was the that's a 75. That's a 75 percent. Two thirds. What? No, it's 65. 66 is two thirds. What, what are you talking about? Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm doing the wrong math. Here's late for me. I'm tired. When I was a kid, uh, though, 65 was the lowest passing grade around here. Uh, here it was 60. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Flair did an incredible interview on Saturday talking about being back in the middle of a super brawl. Not on Saturday night. It was on uh, one of the syndicated shows. Okay. Uh, Flair didn't work live Oak Florida last week because he was selling the injury, although he was advertised for the show. But did work in Lakeland, even though the television gimmick is that he was injured. WCW, everybody? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Flair same... Also- well... No, I had something to mention about that. This is the company where later in the year they do the deal where Sherry injures Sting's eye and Sting as a result is unable to wrestle Regal at Bash at the Beach and is replaced by Johnny B. Bad. And on all the house shows in the interim Sting is wrestling Steve Austin with his eye bandaged up. Of course. Flair also appeared at Dapper Dan Sports Bank in Pittsburgh on February 11th. Not to be confused with the global job guy Dapper Dan. Or the uh, hair product from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Uh, they ran house shows this past weekend, drawing 750 fans in Sebring in 2000 in Lakeland. Lakeland said it had been a hot house show headlined by a four-star match with Flair, Sting, and the Boss against Ron Simmons, Big Van Vader, and Rick Rude. That is an interesting match there. All right, full results of the show. We got Craig Pitbull Pittman over Brad Anderson in the one-star match. Two stars. Two, excuse me, two star, Two stars. Pretty wonderful of a Thunder and Lightning, star and a half. Regal retained TV title over Brian Pillman, two and a quarter stars. Nasty Boys retained the tag titles meeting Steamboat and Arn Anderson in a three and a half star match. That's a team. They were team uh, somewhat regularly on TV around this time. Yeah, U.S. title, Austin over Brian Johnny Bad, one star. And then Flair and Sting and the boss over Simmons, Vader, and Rude, four stars. Mm, sounds like an interesting show there. Yeah. Uh, what am I seeing that main event? Not at all. Tony Schiavone's made all appearances, so it looks like as a whatever surgery hadn't taken place yet, if it is going to. This is the eventual next surgery that we're talking about, I guess. Yes. Rookie Craig Pittman is doing a serviceman gimmick similar to Ranger Ross. So wait a second. They're using him being a legit Marine as his gimmick on his initial house show prelims. Then when he's initially brought to TV, they don't use it, and then they use it again once he gets a push outside of the pro. Yes. Okay, whatever. At the recent center stage tape, it's a backstage brawl between Jerry Sags and Hardware Bobby Walker had to be broken up. Oh, I wonder what someone had to say to Bobby Walker in WCW <laughs> that would have uh, <laughs> led him getting into a fight with someone. I can only guess. <laughs> yeah. Also... Yeah, people forget Bobby Walker was around this early. Even though Robbie Walker was a different person, Bobby Walker was around in like late '93. Yeah, he was. So that's that's why. Look, normally I would say this is more of a a member of Harlem Heat won a match kind of thing, but like Robbie Walker was only on TV for a few weeks. He disappeared forever, and then a year later, Bobby Walker shows up. If you don't have tapes of Robbie Walker, I can understand why you would think that they were the same person. Yes. And to close, some question regarding the future of Steve Austin, Brian Pillman, and Ron Simmons. The first two have contracts that expire shortly. 
Austin is going to be coveted by Titan and apparently wants a race from his current $109,000 a year deal. Pillman has a deal in the $240,000 range, and there's a question as to whether they'll try to cut his salary down. Simmons is working without a contract and actually has been for some time. Then he stops working there. Yeah. But how about this? 1994, we have WF coveting Steve Austin. Why wouldn't they? I know. So, there you go. All right. That's it for this week's show. Next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 2003. 2000 show, first time we've had one of them in a while. WWE. We got uh, an interesting section here as uh, we got the go-home show for No Way Out, which is in Montreal. If ever have every show in Montreal, how about that? Novel oh, concept. We did the following week. Was it last year? Uh, we did, we've done it recently, yeah. Tyler, it was either last year or the year before. So, we got the TV regarding that, including a interesting weather situation that affected some of the booking of television for Raw. And we got an interesting SmackDown featuring the debut of Nathan Jones, among other things. So, there's that. Uh, we got uh, OBW, where we have a big title change there to talk about. TNA, we got news on them and what is their chances on uh, DirecTV. So we'll talk about that. Uh, MMA is a discussion on ESPN. So we'll have new ESPN and Fox, Fox Sports. So UFC's conversation there regarding their the similarities between UFC and pro wrestling. We got Lucha going on, some stuff there. Couldn't have done Antonio Pena's health conditions. We got uh, stuff in Japan to talk about, including the debut of U Style, their first show. Ooh. So there, there's that, plus other uh, news, including a big sumo hall show for New Japan, featuring the return of Hiroshi Tanahashi from something that, if it happened today, would be a crazy ass story on social media. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, that would be an interesting one to talk about. <laughs> Dream Stage Entertainment's future is up in the air as uh, various scandals are going on there, so to speak. So we'll have that. And we have uh, news on Kurt Hanging's memorial service. We have that. We got all sorts of indie shows taking place, including an Ultra Styles weekend in IW Mid South. And um, the Sandman having issues with Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission. We'll have news on that. And we have the end of Portland Wrestling, the attempted revival of Portland Wrestling. All that more next week on Between the Sheets with our guest making his return, Daniel Maccabe, next week on Between the Sheets. Oh, uh, all the Northwest stuff, I take it. Yes. Shifty to you in that. So I told you, now we have the most Portland centric week of our show next week on Between the Sheets. Well, it's not Portland. Uh, <laughs> we're going three pages into this. So. Well, no, but I'm saying we also have ECCW and Stampede as far as other Northwest. But Portland, Portland goes into the third page. Yeah, I see. So, so yeah, anyway, that's next week on Between the Sheets. And this is, all, is this all Observer or some figure four? It's all Observer. Okay, interesting. So that's next week on Between the Sheets. All right. Big thanks as always. You're the Rock of the Show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 76. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's time to start a new series. Yes, as we return to one of our mascots. Yeah, I guess you could say that. As um, we've done more Patreon shows on this particular person than anybody else in various incarnations of his life. And now we're going to go to an interesting one, to say the least. As we go to 1993, a year in the life of Paul Heyman. And um, this is a very pivotal year in his career, in his life. As uh, you'll see as we go along in this series, as it starts in one direction and ends in another direction. And there are a lot of twists and turns in between. So let's start the show, shall we? All right, we get January 18th. Torch and Observer, January 25th. Start the Observer. Paul Heyman was officially fired January 15th by WCW by a letter faxed to him from Bill Watts. Watts and the letter claimed WCW's investigation of dangerously expense reports turned up false fire reports at the Ramada Hotel, Atlanta Airport South. Oh, I know where that, what that place is for dates. <laughs> In April, May, June, and July of this past year, Watts' letter also claims that the Ramada Hotel confirmed Danielson wasn't registered as a guest on the dates claiming the suspense reports. And it appears that you induced the Ramada Hotel to provide false information that you did stay at the hotel to support fraudulent expense reports and attempt to obtain improper payments of approximately $1,200. Watts also claimed that Paulie Danielson may have falsified other expense reports as well. Reported during that four-month period, Danielson turned in receipts from the hotel totaling $1,162.50 in 39 days. According to a hotel official, we contacted. There's no question Danielson stayed at the hotel during that time period, although the official claimed that they would be unable to prove how many dates. Okay. Before we move on, again with the reportedly, where you don't say why you're saying reportedly? <laughs> well, that happens uh, on the Observer. In this era, and not just the Observer either. But anyway, yeah. keep going. I'm just going to say Heyman. Heyman sent to your contract at WCW and kept front April 1st, 1992, where you know, base salary and performance incentives and expenses one says $200,000 per year. The contract also listed him as a TBS employee rather than an independent contractor. This would have made him the only performer in the company designated as such to the contract. As such, so the contract was somewhat precedent setting for a perilous performer. Employees contract provided that work-related expenses, such as medical expenses, road expenses, and promotional expenses, be paid for by the company. Shortly after Watts took over the reins of the company, Danielson found himself phased out of the spotlight. It's been heavily speculated that the size and terms of his contract, which no doubt Watts would have never given any of his managers, spelled his downfall. Similar to Jim Cornette's two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars per year contract, with WCW being a large part of his initial downfall to Jim Hurd, who felt no managers worth that kind of money. And Cornell was phased down, which made Hurd's feelings into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nevertheless, the investigation dangerously was known by, by, by some within the industry for several months. It wasn't a quickie deal by any means. Now, an interview in the Charleston Post-Courier on Friday, Heyman claimed that Bill wants to bear his career in an attempt to make him settle on a contract buyout. They made that allegation of falsified expense reports. It's 100% untrue. It is false. It is a lie. 
The only discrepancy at all in my office is the fact that for several years, several members of the organization have stayed at a particular motel in Atlanta, never got receipts, and that was the maximum amount the company would pay us, pay us to stay at the motel anyway. They asked for documentation, and I got uh, from the hotel itself a letter acknowledging I had been there on the dates in question. And all of a sudden, even that is not good enough for WCW. This has been a witch hunt for five months because I refused to renegotiate a contract. I signed with that company because I refused to take less pay when I had already committed myself for two years on an agreement. I have no problem renegotiating this deal on April 1st, 1994, when this contract expires. It would have been stupid to renegotiate a contract that had already been signed by both parties in good faith. In my contract, there's a buyout clause which they have to pay, buy me out at a certain price, even if there's just cause, which there isn't. They have to pay me six months severance. It's just $100,000 up front. They said they give me the lie down and lie down like a dog, so I don't chase after even that. This company is holding the treat of a criminal, prosecu- criminal prosecution to make threat, me go away. Threat somehow that got... I think that was a title. Treat. (laughs) The treat of criminal prosecution. I'm going to seek all legal recourse, not only to enforce the stipulations and provisions of my contract, but for damages to my professional standing and reputation for this blatant attempt to blackmail me and ruin my career because I wouldn't buckle on the Bill Watts' pressure. We're going to litigate. The last statement concerns two items. First, Daniels claims his contract calls him to be given 30 days' notice in the event of termination and severance pay equal to slightly more than his six month salary, a combined figure in $120,000 range. Secondly, in Watts' termination letter, Watts said the WCW is not waiving the right to process criminal action in regards to the case. Delane Donovan, the general manager of the Ramada Hotel Atlanta Airport South, was worried that the entire situation may have been a misunderstanding because wrestling personalities often check in under pseudonyms so they can avoid being bothered by fans. Donovan, who wouldn't contact him Monday, wasn't aware that Anderson had been fired over the incident, but knew of the WCW investigation. So the problem may have been that the office computer would have no records of any cash purchases if made under pseudonyms unless they were asked to pull the records away to pseudonym use on the specific night. She recalled Danielson was a regular customer at the hotel, saying she even recalls personally checking them in on several occasions. I don't know too much other than they were investigating his records, she said. Turner's on our comptroller's office to pull the records. They took it back to the office. I haven't heard anything since that time. Paul then had the receipts. He had a letter from us saying he stayed here. Turner's, Turner's people were looking for backup copies of the receipts. All the guys stay here in their different names. They don't want the fans to find him. Sometimes they don't even want their families to find him. He definitely stayed here. The problem is some of the dates didn't coincide with the dates he turned in. Sometimes guys rent rooms late at night and pay cash. It's hard to pinpoint unless you know the name that they use and look for it on a specific date. If he signed in as Joe Blow, for example, he should know that Joe Blow was a well-known signing name of a specific restaurant at the hotel, and we would have no way of pulling those records up. He could have been his own worst enemy. That's really the kind of a screw we deal in both parts. He has stayed here. We never had any problems with him when he was here. I know he stayed here because I first checked him in. Without knowing the dates and the name he used, we can't go back and look. But the guy stayed here for a long time. The investigation got out of my hands and it's an owner's hands. I had no control over it. Without paying by credit card or knowing what name he used on specific dates, there's no way to prove he stayed here. Where's this Dave calling the hotel manager and giving extensive quotes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, unlike him, isn't it? Yeah, and also unlike Paul, I really 
so far kind of believe him. Yeah. Would he really be trying to carny WCW out of a fairly small amount of money, all things considered? And if he's... what, Like, and what's the idea? He didn't stay at a hotel, he stayed at someone's house? Like, what is their theory? Uh... My guess is that... I guess he... he, I don't know, I mean, I... He's clearly staying overnight in Atlanta until he flies home. Yeah, and the the Ramada was right near the airport, so it's it's just a little... Little piece away, so it's not far to travel. Uh, a lot of guys stay at the hotels near the airport, so and you're not right that you're not far from downtown, right there. So where you need to be, if you're at at, at uh, Turner headquarters, I mean you're just maybe hmm, five seven miles away. So it's a good spot if you want to stay, if you're just chilling out, whatever. So I don't know. But I understand the student thing, because, I mean, if fans want to try and figure out who's staying where, and, you know, you use your wrestling personality name or your real name, if they know your real name, you know, they could heckle you and, or, you know, stalk you or whatever. So I get it. Okay, so I do have a question about that, though. You know, in my, you know, adult life, when I've stayed in a hotel— there's no, never any distinction made between, like, my listed name and the name on my credit card or anything. Was that a thing that ceased to exist at some point? Because I know, I know all the stories of celebrities using pseudonyms when they check into hotels, but, like, they're paying. Like, are they paying cash? Like, what am I, every time yeah, I do it's, that? It's more, than, well, more than not, I think, cash. That's what I would think. So do we think Paul is going to an ATM, or do we think Paul is getting a draw and paying for the hotel with that? I would say something like an ATM. Because if he's getting a draw, then this makes this also a lot more interesting. Yeah. Because then he's go, you know, he's going to WCW to get an advance. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. So the hotel manager is backing him up pretty hard, though. Yeah, she's seen him a lot there, and uh, can corroborate that. But I mean, the, the the simple thing with this was would be ask Paul, ask Paul with his names he used and match him up. Maybe he used a different name each time, and that's what I'm saying. But I'm sure he, knowing Paul Heyman, I'm pretty sure he remembers the names he used. I mean, I remember when he used them, right? But I'm pretty sure he remembers the names he used. So. Oh, no. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.